Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. Of the Forgot My Dice podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me tonight, as always, the mud and dirt to my rally car racetrack, Mr. Robert Lundgren. How you doing? Hello, hello. I've got nothing to add to that. I don't know what, what the hell's going on. <laughs> All right, I need you to kick it out of first gear and get up into sixth gear with me because I'm in a mood. You're in a mood? Yeah, oh we're going to make is... the fires happen today. Oh my gosh. This is, this is not the day for that for me, but I will I will do what I can. I will do what I can. <laughs> we'll see what we can do. All right. Well, as always, let's kick this episode off with a huge thank you to our patrons over at Patreon. You guys are helping us keep the lights on and the Rona at bay, and we appreciate you for it. We hope we're giving you some modicum of entertainment in what I'm now affectionately calling the four walls of my office are my man prison. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard the darkest timeline. I've heard the darkest timeline, too. Yeah, I'd say so, man. The only thing we're yeah. missing now is like, you know, Batman fighting Superman who's now taken over the United States. Oh, oh, no, I don't think we're in the injustice timeline quite yet, but we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I don't know, man. Are you sure? It's just starting to feel a little weird. On that on that note, uh, despite what you may have heard about Portland, uh, it's not a war zone here. I just drove through town like uh, Sunday, Sunday. Yeah, Sunday. Uh Everything was fine. All the stuff you're seeing on the news, it's like in one city block. So, you know, things are fine here. Don't worry. How are you guys? <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> well, you see stuff and they're like, Portland's burning. And I'm like, dude, nothing. it's one block. It, it's so small. It's like a little teeny tiny piece of a great big old city. So, I don't know. Anyway, I just wanted that to be said out loud because I've seen some stuff. And I'm like, dude, it is not that bad. I drove through Portland the other day. I drove through it. It was fine. Well, good. Well, Jonathan, on that lovely note, happy National Fajita Day. Oh, that's a good day indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always a good day to fajita. Yeah, I really want to get it. It's it's also ice cream pie day, which I know I shouldn't be saying two things anymore, but I'm thinking I kind of want to challenge accept that uh, when this episode comes out in a week and a half or well, less than a week now. And uh, have fajitas with a dessert of, of uh, ice cream pie. That sounds like a good challenge to accept. I, mean, I don't I'm know about you. I'm not going to say no to that. That sounds yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Gina, if you're hearing this and we haven't already planned for it, uh, we suck. And I just want you to know that you suck, too. That's fair. That's fair. I'd agree. So, And one last thing, Jonathan, Department of Corrections. Uh, last episode... Uh, I kept mentioning Free Your Eyes Only is the, the Roger Moore movie I really liked. I was incorrect. It was The Spy Who Loved Me. The oh, one that took place yeah, in Egypt yeah, with Jaws. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that, was, that was the one. That and the one. I didn't catch that either because I would have known that. Yeah, yeah. No, you, you kept saying it too. I followed you right down that path. I know, I know. I led you there. And I was like, the water's great, man. Come on in. Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. So... Ah, there you go. I can't wait for No Time to Bond today. I am super stoked because I thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that movie. Yeah, yeah. It. it I, I had a weird relationship with that movie, but we'll, we'll get to that when we get to that. So let's move on. Let's move on. The faster we get through this next segment, Jonathan, the sooner we're there. All right. Well, 
Now that we're through the Department of Corrections and all that good stuff, uh, let's move on to our first segment. And that is, of course, as always, the off the shelf segment. This is our segment where we talk about all the wonderful things that we've had off of our shelves, onto our tables, and most importantly, into the cold, dark recesses of our hearts. Uh, no, not so much here, my friend. Not so much here. You know, what? I'm going to come right out and say this because we need to destigmatize this shit. 2020, I just said shit. I'll say it again. I'll bleep myself out. I don't care. Uh, 2020 has been kind of uh, a little sucky, would you say, Jonathan? I mean, I'd say that's lightening it a lot. That's sugarcoating it. So I was listening to the last couple episodes of the podcast, and it kind of struck me that for the last several episodes of the podcast, I've made kind of oblique mentions that I've been feeling a little blue lately, which is... Uh, also, I've had time to listen to podcasts lately, Jonathan. How crazy is that? Anyway... So, yes, people, I got myself on some of the antidepressants. And if things are weighing you down, too, you know what? Explore that with your doctor, because you know what? It doesn't have to be awful. But if I seem a little out of it, I'm on like my first week still. So it's 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 a little loopy. It's a little weird still. I'm trying to like I'm trying to maintain the excitement, but it's hard to maintain. But I've got kind of more of this dry wit going on right now that I'm trying to tap into. But it's new. It's a new like avenue of the humor for me. So I'm having problems like like um connecting the route or whatever it's like it's like a ticket to ride I'm trying to connect that route to the new to the new source i'm gonna say pan am made it just a bit more topical oh uh, yeah because uh-huh, uh-huh. you know yeah that was not too long ago it's what three episodes ago two i don't remember anyway my point is people it's okay this year kind of sucks you you it take care of some of your mental health it's it's okay yeah, you know, it, it's interesting at work. They've been sending us all kinds of um, articles about how to kind of not let the year get to you, especially, since <laughs> you know, like we're all trapped at home and stuff. You know, I, I get it. Even even me as a natural introvert, I'm having a real hard time just because I don't get any kind of variation to um, to what I see every day, you know? Yeah, you're, I, I, I kind of caught that. You're you're an introvert, but you like to travel, which is a weird mix. But yeah, I could I could see that bothering you because even yeah, the thing that blew my mind when you were traveling more was you would come back and you'd be like energized. You'd be jazzed. I love to travel. It really it does a lot for my soul to soak in another culture and another place. Like I'm, I'm a natural wanderer. Like the fact that I've been here for as long as I have in one place is I think it's a testament to putting down roots and having children. Yeah, I'd agree with that because, you know, this is the. I don't know, eighth or ninth city I've lived in. I have no desire to to be in one place for the rest of my life. Even even San Diego, which is always going to feel like home to me, no matter no matter how old I get, it will always be home. Uh, even if I was to base myself out of there, I would not spend all year there if, if I had, you know, infinite money and had choice. So you're going to be one of those retirees that like just buys a motor home and just tools around the country? No, I have places that I would like to see. I, I mean, it's it's culture as much as as place, right? Mm, it's mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. it's about soaking up something different. And I, I like hearing other languages, and when I'm in an, in a country with a different language, I tend to try and get people to teach me as much of that language as possible. Which is not to say that I remember it, because when you don't use a thing every day, it just kind of dries up. Well, there you go. There you go. You should come back to the PNW, man. It's bitching out here yeah it's i so love pretty. the pacific northwest i've i've told you that like the uh, vancouver one of the finest most beautiful cities in the world i i would go back up there in a heartbeat yeah we went we went camping this weekend trying to stay the hell away from people 
And uh, yeah, there's big trees, man. Big trees. It's pretty. Yeah, I have some coworkers that live up in Vancouver, and all, even though they complain about the costs all the time, which is, I mean, frankly, coming from Southern yeah. California, funny. <laughs> well, Vancouver's almost as bad. It's like the Hollywood uh, of Canada, you know? Yeah, you, 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 this is new to you guys. Uh, th- th- you know, I was born in the high cost. <laughs> I, was raised I was born by into it. the high cost, raised by it. <laughs> you just dwell in it. This is new to you. Oh, I should put my hands over my face to muffle myself slightly. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I just I do miss travel. I, I miss the variation of stuff like I, I've, I've been on business trips before that are six to eight weeks in duration. And it's never, ever bugged me. Not once, because there's always new stuff to go see and do. And I miss restaurants, man. I miss restaurants a lot. As an introvert, it's not there's not a lot of ways that I like to get my um, social on. And the nice thing about a restaurant is I'm surrounded by other people. So I get to be social, but I don't have to participate with them. (laughs) They're just having their own lives. And I'm just kind of, you know, soaking up social uh, like by marinating in it, but not necessarily having it directly (laughs) applied to me. Yeah, well, you were telling me something the other day. You, much like the Matt Coville over on the YouTubes, uh, he mentioned that he's lost a lot of weight since uh, this whole lockdown thing happened. I'm 26, 27 pounds now. Yeah, and it's just because he was like, I'm a very social eater. So like, he wouldn't even be hungry and he'd be like, hey, let's go to lunch. Let's go whatever. And then he'd go eat like a 2,000 calorie meal, you know, with a beer and the whole nine. And then, you know, and it's like, that's calories he doesn't need. But now that he's at home, he just kind of like cooks when he's hungry and... Yeah. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm on a set schedule. I I, I have uh, these little eggs every morning, same amount, and then mm-hmm. I have uh, for lunch I have a, a grilled cheese sandwich on a low carb bread, mm-hmm. and then I uh, move on to dinner and we have a sensible dinner and we're just eating at home a lot more. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. have a chance to eat like an a hole, so it uh, yeah twenty six twenty seven pounds now, and I it, I'm not doing anything. You look, you'd probably, you look magnificent, don't you? Just like, you know, the man mix, minx I always was, just a uh, uh. little, little bit less of me in some places, but uh, some would argue a little more in others. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're, uh, no offense, but you're, you're built like a dwarf, man. You're like squatting wide and, yeah. I'm like, I'm six feet tall. Nah, you, well, uh, you're, you're shorter than me. taller, so. Yes, yeah, everybody, almost everybody's short. It's actually very off-putting. I guess okay. to the we are way, we are way off topic, but I'll finish that thought. I, it is way off-putting when I meet someone taller than me because I'm not used to it. And it, it really gives that. me the heebie-jeebies. Heebie-jeebies. Being that I'm taller than 85% of America, I, I understand where you're coming from with that. Was I ever off-putting? No, I realized no. I had to start shaving my my nose hair because I, I was positive a lot more people were That's seeing that than I was aware. That's true. Yeah. It's like anyway. I can't grow any hair on the top of my head anymore, so I started shaving it. But damn, my ears and my nose are tr- sure giving it the the Olympic try. Yeah, college yeah. try if you will. I start I started finding long hairs on like the edge of my ears, like like my ear lobes. I'm like, am I turning into a werewolf or something? Like, yeah, what the hell no. is going on? My my nostrils are pretty sure that they can do a comb over at this point. Yes. Like, yeah. it's, it's ridiculous. Yes. Okay. Hey, okay. follicles, okay. Fo- where were you when I needed you? <laughs> okay, focus, focus. <laughs> I'm focused. I followed you on this tangent. Okay, well, I'm getting this off it. I learned Movies it from and... watching you. Movies and I TV. I learned it 
from watching you. I threatened to watch uh, the communion, and I have Whitley Schreiber's communion with so the aliens. I didn't get that, any like, texts while hole. you were watching it, which kind of bums me out now. Now that oh, I know I'm that sorry. you've seen it, because I love when you get excited about a a film with uh, Walken in it. Because you start giving me like percentages of where you are in the walking verse. Oh no, God! This was this was full walking from the get go. It was amazing. I know that's one of the greatest things about <laughs> that movie. Like he goes full walking early. He dedicates himself to it, and it's basically ninety minutes of walking at his walkingest. Oh man! Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, Gina was next to me while we were watching it, and and we we were just like. It was like 50% just like jaw on the floor, like dumbstruck, like what's going on here? And the thing, the embarrassing thing about it was I was petrified of that movie when I was a child and I'm watching it now. And it was like obviously made for like a buck 50. Like the, the budget was walking and that was like most of it, you know? And like the part with the gray aliens, like the masks are terrible and the little gray aliens, like there's this one they have with his arms on strings, obviously. And he just kind of like, like kind of floats around like, oh, it's so bad, Jonathan. It was such a bad movie. Oh, you're making me want to watch it again. You should. It's it's un- and they do the thing that you hate the most. They break the fourth wall at, at this point to just sort of like talk about the nature of God and stuff. It's like, what the hell is going on here? You know, that and that like book terrified the living daylights out of me when I was young. Yeah, well, I could, you know, even as an adult, I could buy it because for one, it won't look laughably stupid. But the thought that, you know, like something's coming in and trying to get your parent into your kid's room, you know, from the outside and take him away to like the UFO to probe his butthole. Like that's horrifying, you know, there's a lot Which to unpack in that last statement <laughs> that happens in that movie. They probe they, uh, yeah. Oh, I know there's there's yeah. probing all over the place in that film. Yeah, yeah. But. Like that is legitimately horrifying, but the effects are so bad and I, I couldn't even it's not even by today's standards. You, you know it, what movie holds up in the terror department that way? That uh the fire in the sky? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I saw that. That, in the that one holds up in all the wrong ways, as in it's still frigging terrifying. Well, it's because that needle goes into his eye in like super oh, slow motion. Dude. And like and like the needle comes out and then the needle opens up and a smaller needle comes out of that and then that opens up and there's a little teeny tiny needle coming. She was like, oh, my God, stop. I didn't know they made needles that small. Did you ever play Dead Space? I think it was Dead Space 2. No, no. I never oh, there's a them. needle scene in Dead Space 2. And let me tell you, it's just as effective. <laughs> oh, my Lord. But yeah. And the funny part is I was reading that Whitley Schreiber kind of like distanced himself from the movie. And he can't like imagine all, why. But he's all over that movie. He wrote the script. You know, it's like he wrote the script and he was a producer a, why did he not veto Walken? You know, I mean, was that a studio choice? And B, he wrote the script. It's terrible. Yeah, but you don't know how much of that was rewrites and stuff. Because here's the thing: like, there's a certain there's a percentages game to who gets the the writing credit. I don't know, man. I don't know. That movie was was so bad. And God bless the Washington County Cooperative Library System for for having that available to me. I appreciate it. I'm so happy I got yeah, to watch that on a whim. You could argue that they're doing the Lord's work. Okay, should I keep going with what I've been watching? Or, or? No, yeah, yeah, go, go. I don't have that much stuff that I've been watching. Okay, so we finished up the Twilight Saga. I'm so sorry. Which, episode one and two and of Breaking Dawn. at the same time, I kind of feel like saying congratulations on surviving. It, oh, it was easy, because uh, we were making fun of it the whole time. Um, episode one and two of Breaking Dawn, though. Uh, they, they earned, they earned their, uh, their, their, their rating because 
uh, it's about newlyweds, shall we say. And they did not shy away from that. So that got a little weird to watch with the nine-year-old, but you know, whatever. We still had good conversations about stuff, I guess. So it, she, I was actually very proud of her. She asked some very appropriate questions, you know? And, and it was nice that she felt comfortable enough to talk to us about that stuff. So I, I, it was overall positive experience, but as it was happening, I'm like, oh, wow, this, this was going in a place I was not expecting for a dumb teen vampire and werewolf movie to go. Yeah, I had to have a long conversation with Chloe about why the vampire's behavior is not okay. And if anybody ever did that with you in real life, that we'd, we'd have to have a very long conversation with a very, very strong detective. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah, yeah. But still still um also also the uh i remember my wife telling me that what happens with uh the cullen's baby and the werewolf they made it better in the books but it was still pretty creepy and and if we follow through on our plan of reviewing that we'll just wait for that it's oh god this it's just a We've been talking about what we want to review or if we want to keep the, the movie segment going and you really want to and and i'm not opposed i'm having to so it. much fun with the movie segment so, but you want to start so movies. much bond left, by the way. Yeah, I know. I know. We still got like half a year of bond left, but you know, More we've been talking that. about doing Star Trek and I don't know. Cause I, I watch the Star Trek movies kind of routinely. So I, I, I'm not as interested in that cause it's not revisiting it to me. And I'm, I brought up X-Men because all the X-Men movies are now on Disney plus. I'd be down with that. And, uh, and we, we talked about Twilight. I think what we need to do is I think we need to compile a list by the time bond's done or like oh, a couple we episodes. Can let people vote on it. We can let people vote on it. Yeah. Which which saga of of well with the X Men it's like de- really highly dependent on whether you're getting a dish full of crap or a dish full of good. Yeah, yeah. Because that 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 saga is uh, a good solid sixty forty. But the first X Men movie took is twenty years old. Doesn't that make you feel old? Oh God, yes, really it does. Did you have to it say had it its, loud? It had its twentieth anniversary. It's nuts. So there's been all these retrospectives and it's on Disney Plus. I'm like, I should watch this. But I'm like, maybe I should wait. Maybe I, maybe we should do this. Maybe we should revisit it. Maybe things in hindsight will look creepy, especially with what's come out about Brian Singer. I'm just saying. I mean, at least we won't have, you know, feet in it like uh, oh, Quentin's, Quentin Tarantino. Quentin's That's another one we could do. We could do the Quentin Tarantino. I, I, I actively dislike most of those movies. So, yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Even actively. Pulp Fiction? Pulp Fiction, uh, Pulp Fiction I liked, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood I kind of liked, but... What about Jackie yeah. Brown? Because I think Jackie Brown... I've actually never seen the... that one. <gasps> I've never seen that one. Okay, yes, that has to be on the list then, because Jackie Brown is one of my most favorite movies of all time, and not only is it Robert Forrester's swan song, but it is perhaps the best performance Pam Greer has given in her life. She is amazing in that movie, and I'll be 100% honest with you, not another human being on the planet that could have done it like she did. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Pam Greer is so good in that film. Well, you want to talk about somebody who's so bad, so so bad. Young Hugh Grant. <laughs> in what? One of his first films, eighty uh, somethings, Layer of the White Worm, with him opposite Peter Capaldi. Wow. Yeah, and a bunch I, of other. I've not heard of this film, Layer oh. of the White Worm. Layer of the White Worm. Oh, my God. Okay, so do you know of a author by the name of Bram Stoker? Might have heard one or two things. Do you know that he wrote anything else besides Dracula? I want to say yes, but for the life of me, I can't think of what the name was. Well, he's actually written several novels, and most of them, actually all of them but Dracula, were complete garbage. 
Layer of the White Worm is one of them. Is it? So, okay, so now I'm really digging into my brain here. Wasn't there a long-standing rumor that Bram Stoker had a ghostwriter? Th- or am that, I thinking of somebody else? I think you're thinking of somebody else, but uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll look into that. We'll report back. But yeah, Layer of the White Worm is is god-awful. It's very loosely based off of uh, Sir Galahad slaying the dragon, um, although they make up their own knight and their own dragon for this story. And uh, yeah, it, it it involves serpent people and, you know, like digging up oh, Roman so era ruins. Government? Hey-oh! Hey-oh! bum Look and out! Shots so fired! He, so here's the funny part. So young Hugh Grant is in it, and Hugh Grant looks like Hugh Grant, right? Like he has not, he's Sorry, aged. Now all he, I can think of is the, the opening credits to V. <laughs> Thanks for that. But, but Hugh Grant, he has like a different accent now. Like he, the well, way was he, he talks. Was he using an accent for the film? I don't. I, I don't think he's that good of an actor. I think he changed his accent when he got more famous to be a little bit more London, I guess. Because you know, in England, like different accents kind of mark you from where you are, and it can mark your class, you know. And so sometimes people will do a more urban London accent to try to appear more, you know, high class, even though they're from a different area. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. I, that's yeah. very Britain. Yeah, so I, I think that's what's going on. But P- Doctor Who's Peter Capaldi looks does not. He he's got this like crazy mop of hair, and he's really really young, and he does not look like Peter Capaldi. That so I. What you're you saying know, is Peter Capaldi wasn't born Peter Capaldi. No, but he sounds exact like Peter Capaldi's because voice. I feel like Peter Capaldi has looked like this for quite some time, and I can't no. imagine him any younger. No, that's the weird part. He looks like a completely different person, but he sounds exactly you know what I'm like saying, a right? Like he's, yes. he's he's kind of been the same age for like thirty years. Yeah, well, this is before he had that Sean Connery aging thing. Maybe it's an English. It's a Scottish oh, thing. Oh, it is a Scottish thing. Yeah, I wonder if that guy who was on the Late Show was like that. Before, Craig Ferguson, uh, absolutely. Yes. Yes. Oh, that's what it is. Because Craig we've Ferguson's cracked like it too for like thirty years. Yeah, we cracked it, Jonathan. You and I, right here. I'm Mark part Scottish. Does that mean I'm just going to look like this for the rest of my life? Maybe. Did you like age fast and then just stop for a long time? Yes. There you go. It's the Scottish. I blamed my children, but now I'm understanding that it really is my genetics. There you go. I'm glad we can sort all this out for you. <laughs> I feel like anyway. a veil has been lifted from my sight. That <laughs> makes so much sense now. Anyway, Peter Capaldi sounds exactly like Peter Capaldi, which is so weird. Same accent, same inflections. On, it's 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 uncanny. Um, but he doesn't look like a Peter Capaldi. And that that has been fun to watch. But the movie is such pretentious garbage. And uh, they do the very English thing of like expressing very little emotion or anything and just like speaking all of their their feelings, <laughs> which is so funny to watch. Um, that reminds me yeah. that, that one species from uh, Mass Effect where they say what their emotion is and then they draw it out monotone. Yeah, yeah. Because they're surprised. like voice translator. Surprised. I am very surprised. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> that species was based off of Britain. So the movie is it's it's R and it earns it and not for the reasons you think. And if you ever get a chance to watch it, was it an I 80s would, movie? Yes. Hey, kids, let's find any reason whatsoever to show boobs. Oh, uh, when they do it, though, you'll OK. If you ever see it, we can talk more about it. It's uh, it is what it is. Is this streaming anywhere? Because, you don't know, this kind of I, I, I had I had I had to rent it from the library. Of course, sir. God bless Amazon Prime for being basically the truck stop $3 bargain bin of movies. 
Why do they have it? I don't know, but it. I haven't looked, but I mean, I wouldn't put it past them. All They've right, got all on. kinds of old '80s British movies. Remember, that's where I saw the the, the dragon one. The with oh the, oh, Layer of the White Worm is on Shutter currently streaming. You know what? That's right. Shutter, you've almost got me. Like, there's several things on there I want to watch. Like, I really want to watch that that blood. Uh, what the hell is it called? Uh, blood machines. I really want to watch that blood machines, and that's on Shutter. Mm. Okay. Also, I finished up Unsolved Mysteries. Uh, Netflix season one or season I don't know what season it is but I it was started good. the first half of the first episode the other day so oh. tell me nothing because I don't even know the full mystery yet I just know what, some what, dude which one's that oh the dude disappeared which dude I don't know it looks like a really nice guy they he got married in Puerto Rico with uh, his uh, wifey wife uh, and his oh wife. oh the the guy who was like a writer he wanted to be a Hollywood writer but he's also like a stock guy or something like that yeah and he did yeah. his wife is convinced that he stumbled into something he shouldn't have yeah that was a good one that was a good one so yeah don't tell me anymore because i'm still working through it how do you like how do you like the new format i mean it's different don't get me wrong it's not it's the old different format but it's the same yeah and i don't say that negatively the only thing i was missing was really robert stack yeah like like segueing into it like like i was trying to explain to the kids about robert stack and the old the old show and I just don't think that I was doing Robert Stack justice because he gave that show such gravitas. There you go. I don't Apparently, know that that show earned its gravitas otherwise without the, the stack. <laughs> but the stack quotient was not to be denied in that. No, I would agree. I would agree. And apparently I was so excited about Lair of the White Worm, I put it in twice. So there we go. I'm done. <laughs> Fun fact. I actually, as a kid, watched Unsolved Mysteries because it was on regular tv all the time and then i saw robert stack in airplane and i didn't understand <laughs> i had the same experience I, I like i had a long conversation with my dad about like why is he being this way i don't understand <laughs> and where's the mystery <laughs> oh my favorite part of that movie is how he keeps taking off his sunglasses and there's sunglasses underneath <laughs> <laughs> and the shirley joke but we've already been over that oh god <laughs> how is it that that movie has aged so well and other movies of the ilk have not looking at it's baseballs look at uh, you. i don't know it, it kind of has and it kind of hasn't but yeah Ugh. i haven't watched it lately i should watch it again the, the hari christian joke completely lost on people today because they're not around in the airports anymore and i remember them clearly from my youth being at airports. yeah yeah i do like the thing that was a thing yeah. There was a Hare Krishna Center in Pacific Beach in San Diego. And every time I'd, I'd go I I can by, walk I to one from go. here. I can walk to one from here. But no I joke. I never see them anymore. Yeah, I got one. I got one real close if I no, want to. No, I'm just talking about Hare Krishna. It's like I never see them anymore. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's the guy from that one sitcom. What, it was Empty Nest, right? Yes. No. What? Who? Uh, the, the, the guy that played the Hare Krishna in Airplane. Oh, yeah, 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 the neighbor, the annoying neighbor. He was also, like, the, the Isuzu guy, right? Yeah, Joey Isuzu! Oh, there you go! <laughs> wow, that's taking me back, man. Are you high? You sound... No, not <laughs> at all. Whoa, that's taking me back, man. I've been very reminiscent lately of the past. I'm, I'm, mm. I'm just missing certain things. All right, well, okay, uh, other than that, I got video games. So what have you been watching? Uh, what else have I been watching? I've been watching uh, Umbrella Academy Season 2. I powered through the whole thing in less than a week. I need to watch that show. You haven't even watched Season 1 yet? 
No. Okay, I'm not going to say anything because we need to have a talk. But okay. I loved it. I had a really good time with it. And uh, once again, that show manages to somehow be utterly ridiculous and get you right in the feels. It sounds like my kind of programming. Um, I'm still working my way through October Faction, but uh, that kind of got delayed a little bit because Umbrella Academy came out and that was something I could actually get my wife to watch, which is so rare. So I, I focused on that. Makes sense. And then I watched uh, The Old Guard, uh, the new Netflix movie for, with uh, Charlize, my future ex-wife, Theron, in it. And um, I really enjoyed it. Is that the one about the immortals or something that that yeah. speech is yeah. in the asks, internet from? It asks some interesting questions about immortality. Like it, it, it looks at what some of the negatives are with never dying. And it asks some good questions. And it, uh, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. I'm not going to say much more because I want you to watch it and tell me you thought. There's some really good action sequences in it, too. Some very physical stunts, which I really enjoyed. Oh, okay. Groovy, groovy. I like it. So, yeah, that's about it for movies and TV for me. So you said... Uh, what, what, oh, what, I, I did read games? something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I read something. I got video games. Uh, what'd you read? Oh, I finished up the graphic novel adaptation of the Iliad. Which, oh, cool, uh, cool. How did it end? I mean, I'm sure it, just like the book, but with with Hector's funeral and all that, the poem. Yeah, yeah. I guess that was uh, a stupid question, being that you said it's actually a pretty accurate. Faithful. Yeah, you know, I was kind of surprised. I've never, I've never, I I learned less about the story of the Iliad than via osmosis than I did about the Odyssey, which is strange. Like I always assumed that was the story of the Trojan War, but no, <laughs> it is not. It starts well into the Trojan War it ends before it ends well I mean <laughs> it's, the Trojan War was supposedly what 30 years in duration I thought it was 10 but yeah I don't know it's some ridiculously long war yeah yeah but uh yeah it was uh I was not expecting that I I because I, I I always sort of assumed back when I was in school I read um shoot what was that book oh oh uh, A Fair Wind for Troy right Mm-hmm. which was about which was about the start of the Trojan War and you know about all of that and I always assumed that, that they were just riffing on the Iliad but they weren't <laughs> I mean I guess they were for a piece of it but I, I thought that was the Iliad and I was wrong <laughs> I was way wrong but yeah it was a cool read it was it was uh it was very accurate like during all the battles you know they they took time to mention like just who was dying it's like and so and so slew so and so but then there's this graphically bloody picture of somebody getting stabbed in the neck with a spear <laughs> and it's like oh damn okay yeah, you know the, the iliad <laughs> is very much like the bible in that somebody is always slaying somebody and begetting somebody else yeah yeah no that completely happens in that and uh yeah i i think i agree with the thing about achilles and P- patromus Pat- what oh, was his being lovers? Name? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, very widely accepted. I mean, yeah, it, it's it's not like that was frowned upon in Greek culture. I mean, sexuality was treated very differently in ancient Greece. Yeah, but just like because because this was a lot more. It, it was kind of funny because like uh, it, it was written. I don't know if it was accurate or whatnot, but you know they're talking about like giving Achilles like uh, like wives and like slave wives and stuff, and it was just kind of like ew. And you know, but then like you know his, his butt goes out and dies, and he loses it, like just loses it. And it's and it's so weird because like the language that they use is like so. You know, like, like, oh, oh, I'm so sad. I'm torn up inside. This is awful. I can't believe I lost my best friend. And it's like, 
you are not acting like this was your best friend. <laughs> you are acting like this was the love of your life, sir. And, but, they, but you know, it's almost like, oh, I'm so mad. I lost my best friend. Oh, it hurts me so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking a ride with my best friend. I can't believe I lost my best friend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it makes me want to read uh, 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 Cersei, uh, Madeline, what's her name's other book, which uh, is about them. Yes. Uh, hold on. I, I was just looking at it the other day. Let me bring up my cart on Amazon. That's it. That's it. While you're looking that up, I'm going to put it on the list. Madeline Miller. Damn it. I can't find it in here. Song of Achilles. Yeah, there you go. Man, I like her language so much. I'm I'm. I'm terrified to read another book by hers because I don't want to not like it as much as I liked Cersei. Well, she's only got the two, so that makes me feel any better. Uh, yeah, that's all I've been reading. What, what have you been reading, sir? Uh, well, I finally had a chance to finish The Wiseman, which is quite the tome. I mean, that's like 900 very large, very in-depth historical pages, so it's a very dense book. It's not something you can just zip through. It's not a you know, it's not a fun, pulpy novel. It's It's, hey... Uh, you're going to need to do some side uh, uh, research here to fully understand what we're saying about history here, because it assumes that you know a fair amount about certain events in, in history. But that being said, it is a remarkable book. So well researched. And it's it's the rare history book where I truly feel like I got to know the personalities of the people involved. It's not just so-and-so did this. This is get to know the person, get to know their attitude and understand their decision-making process, which to understand the, the, the Cold War in the United States post-World War II is, is it's highly important to understand their, their backgrounds and, and what they went through as children. So it's like a Stephen King novel then? Kind of, yeah, except real. Yeah, well, yeah. And we, we can't have a, everything. A whole lot less creepy clowns. Creepy clowns, yeah. And questionable scenes involving children. Yeah. Although Khrushchev, I mean, that guy was an interesting cat, man. Okay. Not in like a weird Stephen King way, just he was an interesting human being. Was there a Stephen King level bully in the crowd? Stalin. Uh, okay. Fair enough. Stalin was really kind of just a jerk. This might be my, my antidepressant talking, but this is my shocked face. <laughs> you're, you're looking at it. <laughs> Well, you know, sometimes you learn that it's just an act that they put on to, you know, seem like more. Nah, when you're you're that old, the the act's been going on so long. That's just the real you now. Yeah, no, Stalin (laughs) was just kind of a jerk. Just like a naturally born a-hole. Yeah, not shocked. All right. I say I was either. Um, Yeah, so I finished The Wiseman, which uh, freed me up. And so I started reading... So I started reading uh, the new Craig Allenson book because I, I, after reading The Wiseman for as long as I was reading it and doing as much work as I did to, to read through it, uh, which is not to say that it wasn't good, but it's just there was work involved. Um, I got the new Expeditionary Force Mavericks, uh, book two, Freefall from Craig Allenson. Uh, mm. that's, my, that's my post-history book treat. And yeah, I'm like two thirds of the way through that already. I'm just chewing through it. Nice. Well, you know, I don't have to work at reading it. I don't have to go and do a bunch of historical research to understand context. <laughs> that would make sense. Like the wise man is as good as it is. I mean, it's it's basically like you are doing a 
almost like a dissertation in terms of like learning all of the history that goes along with it to, to better understand the context of the decisions. Also, I didn't realize it. Robert Forrestal, what a sad story. I, I had not known that he um, had killed himself. Oh. And he okay. suffered from what we would now know as like intense anxiety. Wow. Bringing it home. Yeah. No, it was, uh, it was, it, it's just interesting because, you know, back then it was. So know, for those of you who've never had that before, how you're feeling right now in 2020, imagine that was all the time. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> that's true 2020 or as we like to call it anxiety 101 yeah 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 it's yeah, good times uh let's see here what else did i read uh that's all you have on your, yeah, your sheet I but i did read an rpg i just want to tease at it oh uh, yeah i haven't gotten a chance to read that yet so uh take a look at my rpgs robert i have something listed there Oh, is this the thing we can't talk about? Yes, that which I cannot uh, speak of. But it I just says read. that which I cannot speak of. You didn't even have to do it. I know what it is. I know you know what it is, but we can't tell other people what it is. But I can just tell you that I read it and I enjoyed it. I'm very curious to see. Well, I'm going to write it down in this thing because no one else could see it and doesn't matter. That which I cannot speak of. Boom. I, I, I'm daring to write it down. Yeah, hopefully I can go to that. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to. Uh, make it happen. Make it happen. Yeah, it's just on a bad day. I know. It's not the greatest for me either, but... Yeah. Well, it's just a near two hours ahead, so it's just at a really awkward time. Anyway. Well, I've done video games, and then I'm done. Uh, yeah, me too. Let's do it. All right. Almost done with Zelda Breath of the Wild. Uh, I've been kind of avoiding finishing it, because I bought the DLC, and there's still a lot of stuff to do, but if I, I'm afraid if I finish it, I'll just kind of put it down for a while and not get my value out of it, but then as a consequence, I haven't been playing it at all, which is kind of stupid. I feel like you already got your value out of it. Yeah, I might. I might. I mean, you put but, the daylights out of it. That's true. I put a lot of time into it. But uh, yeah, uh, I've been watching a lot of lore videos and stuff, which some of them are fun, but people are getting way too obsessed with like the Zelda timeline, you know, like each Zelda uh, isn't it supposed to represent its own individual story. Like that's the no, whole no, no. They made a timeline for the, the, the yeah, did they, they really, though? Because it's Miyamoto. Did they? Uh, yes, they did. Oh, you haven't heard the insanity that is Zelda timelines? <laughs> okay, so Jonathan, the insanity that is the Zelda timeline is... Okay, so one of the more recent Zelda games, Zelda, The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword. That is canically... Like that, that is canically the first game in the Zelda franchise. That that sets up everything, apparently. Okay? Wait, you with me? Uh, Skyward Sword. Oh, wait, I was thinking of Twilight Princess. Twilight Princess is the one I didn't like. Then there's the Minish Cap which is on the DS or something. I have that, actually. I should play it. I don't have a DS, though. I had it on my GameCube. Um, Four Swords, and then there's Ocarina of Time. Now, if you've played any of the more modern Zelda games, like a lot of them are are oddly sequels to the Ocarina of Time, but they're not sequels to each other, which is kind of weird. Okay, so what they say happens there is that the Zelda series splits into three timelines with Ocarina of Time. All right, but but who's saying this? Is this Nintendo or is this... This is Nintendo. Internet. This is... No, no, this is Nintendo. This is Nintendo. They released a book called the, it's like one of those magic art books, but for Zelda, it's called the Hyrule Historia. And this is in there. So this is official. Okay. Okay. So there's the timeline where the hero from Ocarina of Time, uh, do you remember the Ocarina of Time plot? Where you're the kid, you go to the future and then you fight again in the future and at the end of it, you go back to the past. Okay. 
So there's a timeline where the, it's the timeline where uh, Ganon destroys Hyrule and then adult Link shows up and defeats him and then goes back in time and vanishes. Okay. Yeah. So, so the sequels to that are the wind waker, uh, the phantom hourglass and spirit tracks. Then there's the timeline of the kid coming back because in that timeline, the kid and uh, young Zelda stop Ganon from ever becoming Ganon and they try to kill him or whatever. I don't know what's going on in there. Um, and those sequels are Majora's Mask, Twilight Princess, and Four Swords Hyrule Adventures. And then there's a timeline apparently where Ganon defeats Link, adult Link in the future. And the sequels to that are A Link to the Past, Oracle of Season and Ages, Link's Awakening, The Legend of Zelda, and The Adventure of Link. And then where Breath of the Wild is in all of them is it is the capstone to all of those timelines simultaneously. It is the end result. And like, and Jonathan, if you want to go down the rabbit hole, there are so many people picking apart which of the three timelines that Breath of the Wild has to be from. <laughs> and it's kind of maddening because playing that game, it's it's very obvious that all of the previous Legend of Zelda games are just part of their myth cycle. You know, it's not it's not truth. You know, it's it's it's, you know, Hercules and, you know, Poseidon. And, you know, just these great stories from the past, you know, but all of the Legend of Zelda games are that. And so, you know, are they true? Are all of them true? Are any of them true? (laughs) Who knows? But like people are so obsessed with it, Jonathan. It's it's kind of irritating to watch because, you know, it's just myth, guys. Just deal with it. It's it's fine. It's its own thing. But yes, Legend of Zelda has a timeline. Now, you know, and knowing is how you know stuff. G.I. Joe? Yes. And then lastly, Jonathan, have you joined the cultural zeitgeist that is Fall Guys? I need to. You keep telling me about it. Everybody's talking about it right now. Yeah, yeah. It's free on the PlayStation this month. Go download it. There's no reason not to. You don't even have to spend 20 bucks on Steam for it. I know. I just forget to. I forget to. I don't. Okay, Jonathan, do you remember an old show on, I think it was FX or I don't know. It was one of those old cable shows called MXC. Yeah, of course. Oh, my God. MXC is amazing. It's that but with kind of cutesy graphics to make you not hate it as much. I tried like, to what explain I, MXC to my children and they didn't understand why I laughed so hard. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I And then I watched actually, their YouTube crap and I'm really genuinely un- not understanding how it is that they don't understand why MXC is the most brilliant comedy ever. Okay. So it's a battle Royale game. So at the beginning, when you play your, your character, you get partied with 60 random people from the internet, but then instead of trying to murder each other, like in a battle Royale, you play Takahashi's castle, MXC style courses together simultaneously one go. So like, remember that, that uh, MXC game where you'd have to like run at the door. (laughs) Yes, I do. That is a course in the game. It starts with eight doors and then there's progressively less of them. And then only up to two of them are real. And the other ones you just smack into. So and why did just, they just license the MXC name? Because uh, they want to do their own thing. And I, it, it's probably complicated because MXC is owned by FX. But uh, the show it's based on, the Japanese show, Takahashi's, Takahashi's Castle. Castle. Yeah, that's a separparate thing, I'm sure. Um, and it, it's Which got if really you ever want to really, truly define insanity, just watch any Japanese television. Like, I just... There must be a cultural component that I don't know about because my lord, it just feels crazy. Yeah, yeah. Like, but have yeah, you seen Silent Library? Yeah, yes, I have. I've seen a lot of weird stuff. Yes, but that's what we're talking about. We're talking about Fall Guys. But yeah, it's just games like that. It's it's like Mario Party esque, like MXC style games. Like you know, it's like running at doors. Only two of them are real, and then like trying to just beat everybody through these like choke points and like and you can grab people and try to hold them back or throw them back. It's it's just insanity. All right, hold on, uh, hold on. What? Just 
reached over. I'm going to turn on my PlayStation here real quick and tell it to download it. Okay, good, good. But they have obstacle courses like that. Um, they have a, a memory game where you're on a four by four grid and then each of the grid pieces will flash like a, a fruit. Um, it could be like peaches, oranges, watermelons, grapes, cherries, or whatever. And so on the first round, um, it's like, there's two things. So like the squares will either be grapes or oranges and like, it'll show what squares are what kind of randomly for 10 seconds. And then a screen will show, it's like, you better go stand on the fruit. And if you don't, or you better go stand on the grapes or whatever. And if you don't stand on those grapes, then the floor dis disappears from beneath you and you get eliminated and you're, you're out <laughs> and that's it. Then you got to go start up a new, a new game or they have one. Uh, one of the, the finale games is it's kind of like there's a there's a Minecraft battle level where it's just these layers of of blocks. And basically um, it's like it's like a layer of these hexagonal blocks, like uh, almost like uh, like Settlers of Catan pieces. Right. And they're formed into a really big grid. And if you walk on them, they just disappear. And you're just trying to be the last one standing on that. And there's like eight or nine layers of that. But, you know, if there's holes beneath you, you fall through and through and through until if you hit the slime, then you're out. And, yeah, it's you start with a random group of 60 people doing these weird sort of party style games. And it ends with one person winning the prize, which is just a gold crown, which you can use to, as currency to buy costumes. And it's stupid. And I love it. I like the costumes. I'm watching the trailer as it downloads. Yes. Yeah, I've got a dinosaur costume, and I've got this weird topography I want the map duck costume. Yes, I want a soda can, and oh, oh, and the first season, like about kind of the mid high halfway through, you can get a hot dog costume, and I really desperately want the hot dog costume. My boys love the hot dog costume; they want me to get it. Yeah, I can't blame them because they get it. All right, this yeah. is downloading. Okay, cool. Maybe we'll play later. But yeah, Fall Guys, it is. Uh, it's not a good game, Jonathan. It's got problems. It's physics engine is wonky. It's it's yeah, but it's it's fun and it's a good battle royale game because, you know, I mean, I usually will qualify the first two at the very least, you know, it's five rounds. And uh, yeah, I usually get to round three most of the time. But you know what? If if something weird and random happens and I just lose, you know, it's like it's frustrating, but the game's so damn cute. It's hard to stay mad about it, you know? Yeah, I get that. It's really nice. And uh, I was reading a review of it, and I think it's correct, where at the beginning, when there's 60 of you, it's just kind of this fun, stupid thing that you're all in together, you know? And then by the time you get to, like, round three, and you're down to, like, you know, the last 20 or so odd people, it gets really intense, and you want all of them to die. <laughs> and you hate them all. And then when you either win or when you get uh, more likely, because it's you only got a 1 in 60 shot, basically, of, you know, winning the prize... Uh, you know, when you get to the end, you're like, oh, I hate all these people. I'm so glad or I'm so mad. I'm, ah! And then you just start over again. And then it's like, oh, hey, look, I'm in a party with 60 people. Let's just get through this crazy obstacle course, guys. <laughs> I mean, I like the sound of it. And yeah, there, you have three actions. You can jump, you can dive and you can grab. And you can dive while you're jumping. And I found that's usually the good thing to do, because if you jump and you end up falling over, especially if you fall on your back, it takes you longer to get back up, but if you dive, it's a lot easier for you to get off your front, and if you dive, you almost always land on your stomach, and it's much easier for you to get up. And also, if you dive, you go a little bit further when you jump, so if you're having problems making jumps, do a dive, like jump, dive, and that'll usually help. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, um, cool. And that's it. I'm done. Uh, yeah, I mean, not much for me. Uh, I got sucked back into the world of Diablo. Which one? Three. Oh. Wait, three? I thought three's not out yet. 
Oh, oh wait, three's out. Four. That's four. That's four. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, so I've been playing a lot of Diablo 3. Mostly on PC. My buddy and I played through the entirety of the uh, current season of content. Um, and then, um, because I'm apparently just addicted to it now, um, I grabbed my Switch and started playing Diablo on the Switch every night before I go to bed. I do a couple levels. <laughs> nice. So, yeah, I'm full on addicted to Diablo now. Uh, what else am I playing? Um, I'm also working through Last of Us 2 and Robert, with no spoilers, Last of Us 2 is a video game on a different level. Yeah, I've heard a lot of mixed reviews about it. They're all wrong. It's the most brilliant thing I've ever played in my entire life, which is hmm. not to say it's a perfect game, but it's brilliant. It's brilliant so you, do you, you beat one because you were talking about playing the first one last yes. time. We yes, talked. I finished one. I finished okay. one and immediately slid into two. And I'm really glad that I did it that way because a lot of the emotional impact of two, you need to have understood the journey from one. Well, that makes sense. Without a joke, this is the single best written video game I have ever experienced in my entire life. It is a, a true work of art in every way. It, it's just stunning. It's absolutely stunning. I don't know how else to put it. It is a true work of art in every way. So yeah, now I really want you to play through them. And are, isn't Last of Us... Did you ever play Last of Us 1? No, I keep hoping it'll be free on the PlayStation at some point, so I haven't... Don't you have you know PlayStation Plus no. now or something? No, it's not. It's not. I, I don't have the streaming thing. You should. Yeah. It's worth the money. But you know what I just realized? Does the library have it? The library has it. I'm going to I'm gonna have to wait because I've got a lot of Switch games in the queue um, the, that I want to try. You're going to need to go. We need to have a talk about this. Well, I'm almost the front of the line for Link's Awakening. You're, you're, you're not going to win that. Well, put him back to sleep because we need to we need to talk about this. All right. Well, I actually hold on. Actually, it's going to be a while anyway, so it doesn't matter. People are apparently renting that game. Well, I did get a couple board games in. Um, as you know, it was the older kids' uh, birthday uh, celebration thing, and we actually went out and did an Airbnb for a couple days with them. And that was super fun um, and super, super safe, which I really appreciate. And the nice thing is that well, we took a couple board games with us and we're playing. And so we played some guillotine. Nice. Because everybody loves it and it's so easy to teach and play. Yeah. And you know what, Jonathan? I would love my copy of that back. It'd get you out of the house. You could walk there. <laughs> How does that make me avoid the Rona? Uh, I don't know, but it's a nice walk. Although it's 100 degrees last I checked yeah, out there. There's nothing so. nice about walking in Texas right now. I'm sorry. I thought this was the PNW, man. It was 73 today. <laughs> oh, you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we played uh, Guillotine. We also played some Blood Rage, uh, myself and the two older kids. They really enjoyed it. Um, taught them about maximum aggression and how to use it in that game and why aggression is important in it. And we had a, a blast. You know, if the kids are, if children have any failing at games like that, it's that, you know, that they get overly aggressive in some games where you need to like, you know, conserve oh, that, resources. That's the game to do it in because that game right. rewards aggression. So d did that work out with the children? Yeah, they, they had a good time. They had a good there time. There you go. Uh, and what else did we play? We played uh, Horrified. Which I saw that at Target. Talked about on the uh, the show. I love that game. 
I love it. And Prospero Hall is very quickly becoming one of my favorite developers. Yeah, agreed. And you played the game we're going to review later, I guess. Uh, yes, and we played a bunch of Rallyman GT in preparation for the review so that I could get a bunch of different player counts at it. And uh, yeah, man, that I can't wait to talk about it in the review. I'll leave and there. I just want to put this to you, noble listener. We were going to do the Dune game. I was set to do the Dune game. And Jonathan had such a huge swelling of love for Rallyman that he made us switch it. And Dune Watch 2020, baby. Dude, I'm not convinced Dune is coming out in 2020 anymore. And that's not the fault <laughs> of the filmmakers, but that's the fault of there's not going to be any movie theaters to watch it in. Yeah, yeah. No, that's the fault of the Rona. But we can get to that. We'll, uh, tell you what, put a pin in that. We'll get back to that in a minute, okay? <laughs> Plus, we got we to gotta, we gotta let Dune Watch kind of stretch out a bit because uh, it's been quiet on the Dune front for the last few weeks. Put a pin in it. We're going to come. We're going to circle around to this back in a year in a life, okay? So just hold your patootie. All right. Deal? Deal. Okay. <laughs> I did get the... Uh, expansion though i think i told you that. i sent you a picture you sent me a picture place out jonathan place out all right um yeah so we'll talk more about rally man in just a little bit which of course brings us video games so yeah yep we're good which of course brings us to the end of our segment which means it's time for a short break and when we get back from the break it'll be time for our wisdom of crowd segment we love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by one of the following. You can become our patron over at Patreon. Search for Forgot My Dice. We also have a Discord page where we organize games and chat about all sorts of stuff. Find a link on our website, ForgotMyDice.com. You can also message us or tweet at us on the Twitters. Find us at Forgot My Dice. And, of course, you can email us at fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com. Or you can head on over to our website, ForgotMyDice.com, where all of our episodes are available, plus game reviews and other content. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Last of you, for those of you listening in the village, call the operator, give your number, and ask for us to be put on the rotation. Robert, this, this needs to stop. Listen, I'll, I'll make you a deal. I will not make any deals with you. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. Oh, God, I'm going to cut his cord. And welcome back. It is now time for our Wisdom of Crowd segment. This is, of course, our bi-weekly tabletop news segment where we talk about all the fun things in the news. And there is a metric ton of it right now because we're getting into the holiday season, which means... Well, and, and Gen Con Online happened, yeah. I guess. So, yeah, this is our Gen Con episode. Where should we begin? Wherever you want, buddy. Do, do, you, want, do you want the sad story first? Yeah, let's, let's, do the, let's, let's get the gross out of the way. Okay. The Diana Jones Awards were announced... Uh, over the the break and this year much like any year they did something a little off kilter i guess for you know instead of just awarding an award to a game or whatever they awarded it to black excellence in gaming which has received some criticism and rightly so so instead of in 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 diana jones awards past what they do is they they give it to like 
one thing, right? And I think like the closest they got to multiple things was the year they gave it to game streaming, which is when uh, Critical Role got to have it for half a year. And then um, the guys who did the one shot podcast got to have it for half a year, right? Yeah. So this year they decided to give it out to 20 people and then kind of left it up to them to sort of pass the award around for a couple of weeks, I guess. (laughs) And uh, it's gotten some pushback because some people who have gotten on the list of the 20 black game designers who uh, deserve recognition in the field, you know, they, they haven't necessarily done anything this year and just getting recognized for, you know, it's like, oh, you're black and in gaming, here you go. It feels kind of like, you know, they say it doesn't feel too great, you know? It's like they've been here the whole time and now you're just lumping me in with like 19 other people just to kind of say something, I guess. So there's been some pushback I online. I see how that could be interpreted poorly. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's 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 been interesting seeing people's different takes on on how they feel about it, you know, about being one of the 20. And there was a there was a lady who I follow on Twitter and she initially accepted it, but then she wanted her name off of it because it just didn't sit right with her. And there's been people who have been going back and forth. And I think it probably wouldn't have been better if they if they got this group together to ask how they should do this instead of just kind of making a decision on their own. But who knows? I don't know. Yeah, I think that probably would have been better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I get the sentiment, but I, yeah, it was just kind of handled poorly. I think their heart's in the right place. I just don't think they handled the situation. No, I would agree. I would agree. But, you know. Because I certainly don't see anything nefarious in, in what they were trying to accomplish. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I mean, as we've talked about with microaggressions and, and all of that jazz, you know, it's 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 usually nothing nefarious. It's just kind of like, you know, yeah, just doesn't sit well at the end of the day, especially when you're sort of on the receiving end of it, you know. But you know what? There's th- this year's cursed as it is. So you know, all you know, many happy returns on 2021, hopefully, or something. I don't know. Short of the apocalypse, I don't know how 2021 is going to outdo 2020. Frankly, knock on wood, Jonathan. Don't say stuff like that. Hey, You're man. like that guy in the scary movie who, who you know, just denied that a creature like that could exist. That it must be a crazy person. Well, then I'll be the first to go, and I won't have to worry the rest of the film. But Jonathan, there's going to be those of us who survived. <laughs> yeah, I'm not lucky enough to die in the first wave. Yeah, Jonathan, knock on wood. Knock, knock. No, I didn't hear you do it. I know your desk is wood. Knock on it. No, my desk is glass. Ah! There are wooden legs. You know, uh, there. Okay, fine. All right, you do your stories. Cursed us all. You are the harbinger, Jonathan. We'll get back to that. <laughs> Guess what ended up being named correctly? What? Ashes, Rise of the Phoenix Born. Go on. Remember when Plat Hat pulled the plug a couple of months ago? Yes, vaguely. It's back, baby. Oh. It is back. Interestingly enough, uh, Team Covenant. Have you heard of that? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Why is that so funny? <laughs> it's it's a long story. <laughs> and you want to get to No Time to Bond, so put a pin into that. Maybe we'll circle around to it. Put it, put it, put it in your notes for next week. Anyway, I need to do some more research anyway. Team Covenant, uh, they're a retailer and just kind of like they do a lot of competitive gaming. Um, they're really big into like Star Wars Destiny and stuff for a while. Uh, they actually uh, teamed up with Plaid Hat and they are doing a player-driven production model. And the physical printing of new product and new content occurs once a specific threshold of consumers are signed up to purchase it. So uh, for that particular threshold, it's 1,000 subscribers. And apparently they got it. Oh, fun. 
It's been 15 months since uh, Plat Hat said no more, and uh, the rise of the Phoenix Born is rising from the ashes. There you go. I can dig it. I like it. Um, I told you I watched Umbrella Academy Season 2, right? Correct. Well, uh, if you're a fan of the comic series uh, that it's all based off of, guess what? You are getting a game. The Umbrella Academy card game. Uh, It is one to six players, uh, ages 12 and up. It's supposed to play relatively quickly, like 15 to 20 minutes. And it is a cooperative game. So I this is kind of ticking all my boxes. I'm going to have to check this out. Fantasy Flight has made several um, announcements. And the one that caught my eye the most, the first thing I wanted to talk about, is X-Men Insurrection. Or, I'm sorry, X-Men Mutant Insurrection. It's a fast-paced, cooperative, dice-driven game. One to six players. And it's from Richard Lanius, who, of course, did Arkham Horror. So there's 16 characters in the box. Uh, people that you'll know, like Cyclops, Rogue, Wolverine, Storm. And each player is going to build a team of mutants um, out of that box. And you get to join um, you get to join forces with characters like Forge and Magic. And uh, each mutant has different dice and special abilities, which you need to kind of balance your team the um, who you're selecting for your team based on uh, the mission at hand. Um, and there's kind of it's going to ship with eight distinct scenarios and a bunch of stuff. So it's, uh, yeah, it looks kind of cool. A lot of comic book art, um, kind of uh, very reminiscent of the, the late 90s, early 2000s X-Men. I wonder how they're going to mechanically give Scott Summers his ability to be a total tool. Because <laughs> that's his real mutant power. Uh, life uh, finds a way. All right. Well, last week, hi, Ray. We talked about the Legends of Zadia uh, role-playing game set in the Dragon Prince world. Well, fandom hits it. it they're swinging hard, man. They are swinging hard. They're like, they're like, I don't know whose legend it was. Were they point? Was it Babe Ruth, the point, and then the hit? Yeah, I think so. They're, they're, point, they're pointing for the stands, man. Uh, they picked up the Masters of the Universe uh license i saw that in fact i was literally copying and pasting the link into our text message when you texted me about it (laughs) so yes this will be made with the cortex system uh which we talked about last time um and quote fans will be able to play as familiar masters of the universe characters use those characters as a base and customize to their desire or create entirely new heroes or villains this makes me want to shave my beard and just leave my mustache (laughs) From fandom VP Adam Branford, quote, the the recent Masters of the Universe comic series reinforced that there are still many Eternias and many versions of He-Man and his allies or Skeletor's forces, as well as new and diverse champions of Grayskull protecting their own Eternias. Legends of Grayskull will embrace the diversity of the multiverse and leave creativity wide open for fans to find the power in the ways they want, end quote. So, yes, uh, it sounds like you will be, you know, you'll be able to be He-Man. Uh, and it'll be any kind of He-Man you want, which should be fun. Or She-Ra, or whatever. So good time. Is she included in the RPG? I don't know, because it's a, its own separate property, because I know the He-Man and the, the He-Man and She-Ra that were on Netflix were negotiated separately, but they're kind of connected? I don't know. We'll find out. <laughs> I mean, they like in the cartoon, I remember they're constantly referencing each other. Yeah, parallel universes, multiverse. She-Ra's technically in a parallel universe of... Well, they're all in parallel universes of each other, I guess. So if I remember correctly, because because Adam and Adora were, were were twins and they were separated. Can I build Dolph Lundgren? 
dude, that if it's a multiverse, that multiverse exists, which means thus our world also exists in that multiverse, which means somehow I'm sure <laughs> you don't want to come to Rona land. <laughs> oh, but it means I'm sure that everything is all connected to St. Elsewhere at some point and every and all the masters of the universe is inside of a snow globe. Surreal. I know it's deep, man. Yeah, you're hitting me in the uh, existential fuel box. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Are we in the snow globe, Jonathan? Are we in that snow globe? All right. Remember uh, one of my big buys at the last real Gen Con that happened? I did because I just listened to this and I don't remember now. Legendary James Bond? Yes. Yes. Well, guess what? I'm getting an expansion. Legendary James Bond is getting an expansion. Let's see what's in there. Let's see what's in here. Uh, it will let you relive the plot of classic movies on Her Majesty's Secret Service. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. You're going to have Tony Savalas? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's happening. And License to Kill. Oh, wait. Could you have Tony Savalas? Telly Savalas. With Timothy Dalton? Telly Savalas. Sorry. With, with uh, Timothy Dalton? Yes. <sighs> this is a world that we can create. <laughs> I'm legitimately excited about that. Oh this ma- my gosh! This means that we need to put uh, Legendary 007 as a, a review game. We haven't done okay. that yet, and I really enjoy it. Okay, okay, done and done. The expansion is uh, scheduled for release this month. This means I need to call my FLGS tomorrow and uh, see what I can do about getting uh, that pre-ordered. There you go. Uh, you remember Civilization, A New Dawn, that came out from FFG? Yes. Uh, Civilization, A New Dawn is also getting an experience, uh, experience uh, an expansion. Terra Incognita hmm. is an exploration element that's getting added to the game. So the, the way it's going to work is that the, the board itself is modular, right? And only part of it will be built at the beginning of the game and you can move off of that to explore out the rest and build the board during the game rather than rather than before you uh before hmm. you start cool which is very similar to the video game this game is weird it's like it was a board game that spawned a video game that spawned a new board game that then spawned a board game spinoff that's now using the video game mechanics a weird interconnected world we live in yeah man that's really kind of hurting my head are you sure uh, you're not high yeah pro- positive god i wish ffg is also releasing a neoprene mat for civilization which is exciting hmm. uh, and it's being de- designed by one of the folks that did star wars outer rim uh, which i really enjoyed and that's tony fanchi so i'm uh i don't know this might get me to buy new dawn the video game or the board game the board game ah okay and then finally, are you ready for some more expansion action from FFG? Sure. The Twilight Imperium box is getting a little bit heavier because 4th edition Twilight Imperium is getting Prophecy of Kings. This is a big expansion. It's like a full-on board game, man. It's just an expansion. Seven new factions. Three unique leaders for each faction. 40 new map tiles. We're getting mechs, baby. A new ground unit with special abilities. Mm. Enough components to give you two additional players. Exploration decks, which let you do discovery. Uh, When you first take uh, control of a planet, you get to discover a bunch of stuff on it. Relics that are are super powerful and you get to, you know, discover 
during exploration and a bunch of new objectives, action cards and agenda cards. Hmm. That is a metric ton of stuff. In addition to the expansion online, you can right now go get the Twilight Imperium 4th Edition Codex. And the Codex is a bunch of stuff. It is a rules update. It is a reworked base game technology. It is promissory notes suggested for usability and balance. It is new action cards. It is new scenario and setup variants. And you get lore. You get a whole short story by Calvin Wong Z. Loon. Featuring the Argent Flight, one of the new factions. God, Twilight Imperium is now going to stretch out to two days instead of one and a half. <laughs> N-World Publishing announces the tentatively titled Level Up, a, quote, advanced version of Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. That's pretty much all you need to know. It's there on the package. However, this little process is just getting started. It's not even going to get the Kickstarter yet because I know that Morris likes to have his books written before he st- he goes to the publishing part. So the reason he announced it early is they are doing an open call and they want, quote, diverse game designers. So if you or anybody you know would like to try to contribute because you're a kick-ass game designer, especially a diverse one, uh, go to levelup5e.com and check it out or put your email in there and then they'll send you updates about the game. Uh, but yeah, seems interesting. I'm down. I'm down. I'm down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see here. I've got two left. Ready? Yeah. Contra, the board game. Okay. From Blacklist Games. Uh, it's basically all the nostalgia you need and love from the Contra game uh, is coming to your uh, to your table. And this is from some designers I really, really like. This is from Adam and Brady Sadler. We've talked about them on the show. Mm, okay. They've done pretty much all of Blacklist Games' games. Uh, Street Masters, Brook City, and Alter Quest. Uh, or their other names, Streets of Rage, uh, Miami Vice... And it utilizes their modular deck system. Uh, This is something that they used in Street Masters in Brook City. So uh, the system assigns unique decks to each player character, um, each stage and each enemy type. And that gives you really good modulation within the game. A lot of good replayability in the system as well. So I'm really excited about this because those designers are some of my favorites. They've done a couple of my really, really favorite games. And uh, I'm excited. It's coming in the first half of 2021, just after the holidays. And then finally, we are getting to the end of a very important trilogy, the Pandemic Legacy trilogy. Oh, I heard about this. Z-Man has announced Pandemic Legacy Season Zero. The prequel. The the dreaded, dreaded prequel. This takes place in 1962. Yeah, baby! (laughs) Now, they do note that it's not necessary to have played the first two games in order to play the new one. But if you have, you're going to get a prequel to the shenanigans in season one and two. You are playing medical students and you've received an additional level of training, making them the right people to not only root out disease, but Soviet agents stopping pathogens and stabilizing international incidents. Hmm. Groovy, groovy. So there you go. I, I found one late-breaking story. Would you like to hear it? Shh, absolutely. So, Jonathan, who are our favorite RPG makers? Free League. Okay, or Free Ligon. 
Sure. Uh, yes. So, Jonathan, have you ever heard of a classic role-playing game called Twilight 2000? Actually, yes, I have. There you go. Freely Gone is currently running a Kickstarter with 21 days to go for Twilight 2000 4th Edition. They had okay. a goal of $11,386, which I'm sure translates into the uh, the Swedish sec uh, in some round amount. <laughs> but the they corner, are... Right? The, in Sweden? I don't know. Um, I, I know their money ends in S-E-K. That's all I know. Yeah, I think it's like the, the Swedish, Swedish Kingdom Kroner or something like that. Groovy. Okay. Well, they wanted 11300 and change, and they've got $212,947. So it funded with 2,088 backers as of... 2,888 backers as of the time. They're producing a box set with maps and junk uh, to play the game on. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Twilight 2000 is... It was a game made in the early 80s about the, quote, near future of the year 2000, <laughs> where a, uh, a limited World War III had broken out and you are playing soldiers trying to just deal with the aftermath of World War III and all of that, that oh, comes. They got that one 20 years too early. The fourth edition is based basically on uh, there was a coup attempt to try to get Gorbachev out of power. And in the Twilight 2000 universe, that succeeded. And that is where the main difference springs from. And there you go. But yeah, it's on Kickstarter. It looks cool. And it's an old school box set, which is fun. Well, and you know, it's going to be well researched and put together because they do good stuff. They do ridiculously good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I can't get enough of I can't get enough aliens. It's so freaking good. Yeah, that aliens are good. I don't know if World War Three is, is a little too dark for the darkest timeline we're in, but they do make good stuff. So, and the art looks great. Have you seen this? Here I'm no, sending it. Oh, that artwork is dope. Mm-hmm. That looks really nice. Look at those maps. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm totally down. I'm way down. There you go, Finn. Drop mic. Well, that brings us to the end of our Wisdom of Crowds, which means it's time to finally transition into what I've been waiting for, because I just watched it, uh, the second half of it today, our No Time to Bond segment, part 16 of our 28-part series, No Time to Bond, where we are watching those 007 movies in order of release date. And today, 1987. Take it away, Robert. The 15th film in the series... The Living Daylights. The Living Daylights. <laughs> the first Bond movie starring friend of the show, an episode I think namesake, Timothy Dalton, our, one of our very, very favorite actors here. I believe the episode title was Explore the Timothy Dalton. <laughs> <laughs> He's actually quite good, especially when you start to see him in other roles. Looking at you, Shaun of the Dead, or not Shaun of the Dead, uh, uh, Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz, yeah. He's yeah. so freaking good at Hot Fuzz. Yeah, he that, that man just knows how to chew dialogue and, and just be fascinating. He uh, could read you your menu, and it would be freaking amazing. It would be intense. It would, it would, change, <laughs> it would change dinner into something completely different. <laughs> oh, man. So I watched this one a while ago. He's got because, that smolder, too. He's got yeah, the smolder. He does have a bit of the smolder. And he turns the smolder on in the living daylights. So I watched this a while ago because uh, a buddy of mine had to like, quarantine to visit his uh, his immune compromised dad. And so uh, 
Uh, I wa- he wanted to watch this. He wants to watch both of the Timothy Dalton movies with me. So I got to watch it a second time to refresh my brain because I watched it like three weeks ago. That's not and a bad I, thing. I really yeah. freaking like this movie. And I turned on the DVD commentary. So I am filled to the brim with useless knowledge of this movie because I listened to uh, director John Glenn just reminisce about this movie for, for two hours. And it was glorious. It was mostly him talking. You know, let me just start this out by saying this is a good movie. Much like yeah. Empire Strike ba- Strikes Back is is not a good Star Wars movie. It is a good movie. This is not a good Bond movie. It is a good movie. There were still some like sort of as I called them Moorish elements in it, you know, where they, well, they did some jokes that Yeah, that did- that's just the old crap left over from the the I I think that's I'm starting to think that's more broccoli than anybody else. Yeah, I, I don't know, but it's uh yeah, th- th- there was one car chase in particular that had some really good moments and then it had him carrying a barn on the back of his Austin Austin Martin and then sawing a hole in ice with a, a wheel rim which is like I cuz like you see how thick that ice is when he when the car finally yeah. drives on it yeah. it's like 3 feet <laughs> the, the the rim's not that thick yeah yeah but uh other aside than, from that scene yes. though the rest of the movie's phenomenal yeah it was it was really well done it held up really well and it was and uh, the third act is is i think espionage movie perfect I don't even know where to I, I don't even know where to begin with this movie. OK, OK, well, uh, uh, this is how we usually start. We're going to start with was there anything bad in this movie? <laughs> Other than the, the the scene on the ice chase, as we'll call it, having some cheesiness to it. I think there was a, a money penny butt slap and that was about it. Yeah, yeah. I I like that we have now very squarely drifted away from the early Bond misogyny because uh, Timothy Dalton Bond, he he didn't even. I, I mean, like, as I was watching the commentary for the movie, like their intention was to show that Bond fell in love with the lady in this one. And and uh, besides I that, they did that very, very well, actually. Yeah. And, and besides the, the first lady in the, uh, in the the zinger at the beginning, there was like only air quotes, you know, one Bond girl. You know, he didn't sleep around like he met that lady and was kind of, you know, even though he was kind of lying to her for the whole film. He he, you did get the feeling he kind of genuinely cared about her. Yeah. So. Well, and. He I I got the sense in the the film that he regretted lying to her. He didn't want to do it because he does finally have that moment where he says, it's time for me to tell you the the absolute truth. Once it all comes out. This this was not him lying to get his way. This was him lying because it was his job at the time and he couldn't he needed to establish a cover and understand who was what and and where it all clicked in, you know? Yeah, well, and that's one of the things I liked about this film because you know t- he's Timothy actually Dalton, doing detective work and espionage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Timothy Dalton really wanted he he went back to the source material and read a lot of the early Bond novels, and the thing he took away from it is Bond doesn't really like his job. He's good at it, and yeah, he, he even he, says that he's got that line where he's like, "He'd be doing me a favor when, when yeah. they threaten to fire him." You know, and and yeah, that's I something like that you angle. get with the Craig ones too. Yeah, yeah. It's a job and he knows he's good at it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he wants to be this murderer. Yeah. And the other thing I really liked about it is, you know, they replaced Money Penny, uh, as we mentioned in the last episode. And I crush I, on the new Money Penny, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I like that the role they gave her because in the original film, she was just M secretary. But when we see Money Penny in this in this movie, she's typically down in the queue area. 
Um, and she, it's pretty obvious she's an analyst of some sort because oh yeah, she's got a lot more going on. It's it's not just take my letter. It's you know, let well, me like bon, Bond's like, hey, I need your help. I, I'm trying to figure something out. And and they go and they start like dicking around on the computer, l- looking up information and and doing stuff together. And then Bond says, I need you to do something for me on the down low. Can you arrange some travel for me? And you know, like yeah, she, she you know she's like Bond's confidant and I, I like that relationship with them more that she's much more you know she is part of the service you know and that she she's something she's somebody an integral part no less yeah but it, it, I like that their relationship is it's not that Bond is like necessarily even attracted to her it's that she's a fellow agent and somebody he, one of the few people obviously that he trusts he, well and, and that he can be 100% honest with yeah yeah I, I thought that was brilliant like it was it was a nice way to see that character and I don't think we see that again ever which is sad because i, I really liked the way she was portrayed in this movie i actually i think you get that with some of the craigs okay well i, I, I would I, have you hold that okay well i i haven't i haven't seen anything past skyfall so I, yeah <gasps> okay. yeah, yeah. That, that's why I, i'm holding off i've had opportunities but i'm holding off for this this will be past skyfall will be fresh for me <laughs> but yeah so I, I guess the only one i haven't seen is specter then but whatever anyway the point is um yeah no i i for for the old school Bond misogyny, they got away from a lot of it, and they they'd made several good sort of steps forward with showing you know that you know like the way that they deal with Money Penny and yeah, and then you know, and then there's the Ghetto Blaster, which ooh. oh that's a product of its time. Yeah, yeah, uh, but yeah, overall there wasn't a lot of bad in this movie, you know. Yeah. Bond, you know, he he wasn't lying to the woman just to sleep with them. He was lying to the woman because it was his job and he, you know, he was doing his job. And he didn't like it because he actually liked her. Yeah, yeah. It was it was overall a fairly a fairly good spy flick. And I I like I like Bond kind of hating life a little bit or hating that he's good at what he does and feels it's necessary, but doesn't really want to do it himself. (laughs) That that is one of the things that I always liked about Dalton's Bond is that there's a certain darkness to him. He is. With Roger Moore, you, you never get the sense that the man is a trained killer. There, there's little glimmers here and there, but it's it's never a primary focus. And with Dalton's Bond, you get the very sense that he is very much a soldier and a very much a trained killer and that he's very good at it. Yeah. Not yeah. that he likes it, but that he's good at it. Yeah. Yeah, which is one of the things I like about Quantum of Solace, but that's in the future, so we're, we'll get there later. Yeah. Um, the other thing I really thought was interesting about this movie, and I'd completely forgot about it, was the third act takes place in Afghanistan. Oh, the, the glorious third act. Yeah, and Bond teams up with the Mujahideen, <laughs> which you would not do in this day and age at all. Well, but this was the 80s when the Mujahideen was our, our ally. Right, right. But it's funny because like, you know, I mean, that was but he was anti-commie back then. Yeah, but this this is the formative time. This is the formative time of Al Qaeda. Like Al Qaeda came about during during the war in Afghanistan like that. That is their origin story. And, you know, it's it's just weird because it is such a product of its time. And you would not do that in this day and age, you know, make the the rebels that live in the canyons of Afghanistan, <laughs> the uh, the heroes of the third act. That's just something you can't do this day and age because it's like kind of like not true. But yeah, it's it's a good piece of history that I'm glad exists for people to see because it's one of those things we've talked about it before about how Bond movies are really interesting because you you get a glimpse of the sort of the cultural zeitgeist at the time. Oh, and without it, a doubt. You know, the Red Scare. Or, yeah. or just the, uh, uh, which one was it? It was one of the Bond movies where they had a really extended scene that took place in an Olympic village because it was like ra- around 1980. Yeah. 
Yeah. And um, uh, that was uh, the, the good one, the one you liked. Yeah, yeah. Uh, was it the spy you loved me or free your eyes? It was one of them. Anyway, but it, it was interesting because, like, you know, it's like, well, why did they have the Olympics on the brain in 1980 when they made this movie? Uh, you know, like, Bond movies are a really good thing for history on that. And this is another one of those really good things of history where it's like, why are the, you know, why are the rebels who live in the caves and, and you know, places in the hills of Afghanistan the good guys in this movie? And it's like, well, kind of because they were at the time. But, you know, then you read the history of, you know, how that progressed. It's like, oh, yeah, well, that explains about why we are where we are right now, which is just... It's an artifact of its time, and it is interesting, and it's why and, and people forget that we we did train and arm these folks. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Al Qaeda was a product of our of our making, of America's making, and a lot of people kind of miss the point of that and why that happened. And this is a good little primer for you to go down that road because that it, it's it's a good thing to research and you know know about history and being doomed to repeat it and all that. But now let's uh, talk about it from a, like a filmmaking perspective, and I think that. From a film perspective, I think the third act is a perfectly balanced wonderkind. I know it's glorious. I loved it. Yeah, it was. It was really weird for a Bond movie. I'll give you that. Like it, it flowed really well. It had really good tension the whole time. It made sense. Like I, that's that's the thing about the only the main villain of this movie, the the guy that Joe Don Baker played. He he was a really weak villain, but then he wasn't really in it much. It was mostly that other general. Like I, yeah, it was it was weird, but yeah, like. But but here's what I like about it. You know, it's it's not a movie about weird ways to take over the world, as so many Bond movies are. This is a movie about greed. Like yeah. there are two greedy people, and they're trying to figure out a way to rip everybody around them off. Yeah, actually, I, w- I would put Joe Don Baker down as one of the Moorish elements of this movie too. But um, but yeah, the the whole thing taking place in Afghanistan is like really, it's it's really good. And Bond and, teaming up with the, the Mujahideen and then going back and, you know, taking over the army base. And that whole last thing with the C-130, that was a great... Oh, what a great sequence. Yeah. What a great sequence. So, and I was I was blowing your mind with trivia. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea that was a... I mean, testament to how well the effect worked. I had no idea that, that a lot of the C-130 stuff was a miniature. Yeah, well, a, a, a bigature because it had a thirty-foot wingspan. That was not. That's not a small. Yeah, but model. they used it just right so that with the with the angle that you were shooting at, they. I guess the the plane must have been a lot closer to you than you think because you you get the sense that it's kind of a background element swooping overhead, and then when you're told that it was a a, a thirty-foot miniature because the C one thirty is not thirty feet. That's for damn sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, bigature, bigature. Uh, yeah. it's a Peter Jackson word, but it, it works in this case. <laughs> Everything it's a about big it miniature. Worked. The special <laughs> effects were fantastic. Even the rear proje- projection for the uh, for the close up shots worked. So you know what that that wasn't vision. a projection. I, I I found out. You know what that was? What? It was a backdrop. It was it was wow. just a, it was a painting. Yeah. So apparently it's really good. It works really well. Yeah. Yeah. So apparently um, they built that thing at Pinewood, which is interesting about that sequence because. A lot of it was shot in Morocco, uh, standing in for Afghanistan at an actual functioning working airport. So they had to, like, get out of the runway every so often because an actual plane would land. Um, OK, that explains a lot, because I thought that was really well laid out for a set. <laughs> I didn't think that it, it didn't look fake. It looked actually functional and used. Yeah, yeah, it was a real it was a real moderately used airport. I think they said something like they had about four flights a day. But they had to get off the the runway when that was coming in. Um, Hence why they couldn't use the C-130, like a real one, and fly it around, because it it just it would cause too many problems. Um, 
the exterior of the ending where Bond's fighting out the back, uh, holding onto the cargo netting. Which oh, very- my like one of my most favorite Bond movie sequences ever. Yeah, that was filmed in the Mojave Desert in the United States, not even with an actual C-130, but with a smaller variant. Um, <laughs> and then um, it's a the Fairchild, a C-222. 222, thank you. And then the um, and then the interior of the C-130 was filmed at Pinewood in England, <laughs> which was a set. And, and this is really like the, the um, a, a very uh, tip of the hat to a very modern editing technique. Like they color corrected everything. Everything looked like it matched. Everything was perfect in that Yeah, sequence. yeah. And apparently the the set that they built, like uh, John Glenn was just going, John Glenn's the director, right? Yeah. yeah. He, he, he was going off about it. He said it was, a, it was one of the most amazing sets he ever got to work with because um, it was actually suspended and it was on hydraulics. So it, it would move, you know, it would shift. And, and that's the thing. It doesn't feel like camera shake because the camera yeah. and the actors all move simultaneously. So it's not camera shake it's it's true physical reaction and that gives the scene a certain amount of weight you know there's yeah. there's a, a gravity to the stunt and and that really works and then the actual back of it went down and it was it was built off the floor and so the backdrop was kind of like bubbled around it so when you looked out the back like you got the whole horizon um was you know like this this scape and it was it was kind of pushed back a little bit so it you know it, with everything moving and when they had some because they had fans on obviously to make like because they had smoke to make it look like you know smoke was blowing or whatever but the fans made it sound like the propellers were going and when they when he said it was like when it was all working it was kind of breathtaking because it looked really real like you had to like really squint because it, it it felt very real just the way it would kind of move and then the noise of the fans just subbing in for the props and then the backdrop that was just exquisitely made um and they said they had some uh, film producers from china that were in and they they showed off like pine was like can we show off this set we're really impressed by it and the director's like yeah and you know when they stepped onto it and the back door opened and everything started up like he said like the 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 guys got really freaked out by it because it felt very real and he was you know he he thought it was an impressive set but then somebody else just coming in blind and and being blown away he was like yeah this is a good set (laughs) well and and it's just i mean you and i've watched a lot of movies from that time period and i can tell you flat out like they don't often work as well as this one does it really yeah. Building the building the set in suspension is what sells that entire scene because so many other movies have tried to do that kind of style of editing and because the the set is not moving with the camera it instantly your your eye is drawn to that that mistake. Yeah. Like they they were they were hitting on all cylinders with this movie. Well, mostly all cylinders. The third act they were hitting on all cylinders with it. Like it was really well made. Oh, and the bridge that they blow up? That was a miniature. That was a that was a, a foreground could, miniature. I, I could tell that one. That yeah. one I could tell it was a miniature. But even then, it must have been pretty good size because the way things fall, yeah, it's it, it's true gravity weight. Yeah, yeah. Because so often when they shoot a miniature, they they have to shoot it in slow motion to make things look heavy enough. Yeah. And this one, this one, things fell fell correctly. Gravity was right. Yeah, yeah. So. I, I remember thinking I before Casino Royale existed. I remember thinking I think I like this one best out of all of them. I and like both of the Dalton movies uh, just from recollection. Uh, I I've always thought that they were some fantastic movies. I, I remember being well. We'll talk about it next time. I re, my reminiscing of License to Kill is I didn't like it as much as this one, and it was a little dark. And if Dalton had stayed, I hoped that they would go a little bit back more towards this movie, but taking out kind of those Moorish elements and, but still maintain the intensity. <laughs> but it's, it's interesting because when the new movie came out, 
the when when the the what is it Casino Royale came out? Yeah. The first thing I said to uh, the the friend of mine that I went to go watch it with was, "This feels like Dalton. This does not feel like anything else. This feels yeah. like you know, License to Kill." Or yeah. pardon me, this feels like Living Daylights. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's it it's a good and you know what? It, it also is like aged well because even though the the theme song was incredibly eighties, like there wasn't a lot of like eighties stuff in it, you know, because um like when Bond, you know, Bond's kind of in his, you know, prim and proper tuxedo and all that in places. And then when he's out just sort of like walking around normally, he's in sort of just a business suit and it doesn't look terribly dated. And, you know, the lady has shoulder pads, but, you know, her dresses aren't even terribly that 80s besides that. And then, you know, the entire third act, you know, in Afghanistan, like they I mean, like I told you, uh, they they straight up had somebody. Well, so it's send really them funny you texted me that. And right when you texted me that I'd just been commenting to myself, wow, those look really comfy. <laughs> so yeah apparently uh the costume designer had a friend of a friend who went and did work in afghanistan air quotes i'm not sure what but that person said hey if you need afghan clothing for your movie uh give me a thousand bucks and i'll ship some back to you in a couple of weeks and they're like oh, okay and so yeah and apparently just crates of you know mujahideen like actual clothing just started coming back including like like gun belts and and all, all sorts of stuff <laughs> they said it was it was pretty it was pretty interesting to read about oh and old guns like like accurate guns of the area <laughs> well it, it it's really I can't say enough nice things about not just the movie, but especially the third act, because that is when they it, it feels to me like that's when the whole thing really comes together and becomes it's really the best bond experience we've had yet. Yeah, I'll agree. I'll agree. I don't think it was like a perfect third act, but it was it was even by modern standards. It was if this movie was released now, you know, history quabbles and all that aside, like it, it would be a very, very well made action movie, even by today's standards. Yeah, agreed. It, it's really well paced. The pacing actually is one of the things that really got me the most. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it moves at a clip, but never at the cost of the story. Yeah. 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 And you just cut out pieces of that car chase and Joe Don Baker. Cause he's just a little too extra. He's, he's more of a, he's more of a more bond villain and not so much of a, you know, post more bond villain. I don't know. So I guess we will sadly, end our run with timothy dalton next week or next time yeah because uh, it'll be time for uh license to kill license to kill and then the long dark tea time of the soul where they weren't bond movies for like six years because of lawsuits and studio closures and blah 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 and uh yeah then we'll go to goldeneye but yeah you know i i'll, I'll say it right now timothy dalton's time was over too soon he uh he is a good bond no, I'm sad a, we didn't a fantastic get another bond. It, it truthfully, like it, it, it's kind of a pity. And, and I don't say this as a negative to Roger Moore, but like, it, it's kind of a pity that they hung on too long with Roger Moore. Yeah. Yeah. Because I feel like both Octopussy and View to a Kill would have been different movies had Dalton been involved. Yeah. He brings a lot to the character. Um, and it's very obvious that he did his research. Yeah. Agreed. And, and if anything, I mean, honestly, like I've always liked Timothy Dalton, but going back to this movie and, and analyzing it a little more deeply than I normally would have uh, has given me truly a, a new appreciation for his abilities as an actor. 
Yeah. Well, speaking of which, uh, during the commentary, they said uh, they originally offered him the role at the age of 22 for her on Her Majesty's Secret Service, and he rejected it because he thought Bond should be older. Um, but the reason he got on their radar was he is. he's supposed to be grizzled. He's yeah. supposed to be somewhat uh, aloof to the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but they got he got on their radar by uh, being in a movie called The Lion in Winter. And uh, guess what? My library's got, sir. <laughs> so yeah, when you watch that, I'll rent that. If okay. it's not available on streaming. Okay. I'll let you know when I get it. Uh, I should have it next week. I think that, that, that it says it's in, in route. So yeah, it should be next week. But yeah, yeah. Going on more of a Timothy Dalton binge. There oh, you know what I did? You know what I didn't mention? I, I watched The Rocketeer. That was something I watched. Oh between. my God. He's so good in that. Yeah. I showed that to the kids, what, maybe a year ago? Yeah. How great is that movie, by the way? It, it's pretty, it's pretty impressive. It, it was, um, honestly, it was like ahead of its time. Oh, well ahead of its time. It does not feel like the movie that it is. Well, it, like, like it came out like what? The late 80s, early 90s? Yeah. I, God, I, I saw it in theaters. Yeah. It feels like a comic book movie that should be out now. <laughs> you know, like if yeah. it was connected up somehow with the Marvel Universe, I'd completely buy it at this point. It's you know, fantastic. You, you, you replace Howard Hughes with uh, with Daddy Stark and... There you go. There you go. I'd buy that movie. Um, I love The Rocketeer. And yeah, Timothy Dalton's such a good villain in that. Mm-hmm. He, like, you want to talk about chewing through a scene? Timothy Dalton in The Rocketeer is chewing through his scenes. He, he steals every frame he's on. And it's so obvious he's having so much fun. Oh my God, yeah. He looks like he's having a blast, man. Yeah. That's what I like about Timothy Dalton. Every movie he's in, he does look like he's having a good time. Even even uh, even uh, Penny Dreadful, he he seems like he's really enjoying himself, even though it's a really dark, intense show. Apparently, yeah, him and Eva Green really really got along. Oh, they man, really liked they had acting together. Such a good chemistry for that 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 type of a, of a movie or uh, excuse me show. Should should we add this to the list? Like like just uh, you know, it's like the next series we should do. It should be like should be X Men movies. Should be the Star Trek movies. Should just be the Timothy Dalton film catalog. <laughs> I would watch. That. I'm not gonna lie. To you. <laughs> Timothy Dalton retrospective. <laughs> I mean, I'm down. God, if anybody knows Timothy Dalton and can get him on the show, I mean, first of all, God, <laughs> you'd be making my inner child very happy. And second of all. I just love him. I love him as an actor, and he gives us so much. He's 74, man. Is he really? Yeah. yeah. Man, you'd never know. Yeah. I'm going to be sad when he goes, man. That's going to be sad. Agreed. Yeah. I dare you. I dare you to reach out to him and see if we can get him on the show. (laughs) You reach out to him. (laughs) I got too much imposter syndrome to pull that one off, man. Oh, yeah, he voices Mr. Pricklepants in the Toy Story movies. Oh, oh, jeez, I forgot about that. Yeah. You want to talk about another scene stealer? There you go. Oh, that's right. He was a recurring villain on Chuck. Oh, man. Oh, he was so good on Chuck. He was so, so good on Chuck. Oh, man. All right. Oh, my God. He did the voice of Jed slash Sparrowhawk in the Tales from the Earthsea anime in 06. Really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We may need to make this happen. Okay, I'm gonna have to start making a list. <laughs> but I think Timothy Dalton, he was in Looney Tunes back in. Oh my god! Like I thought, I loved him. Now I love him. Tales from the Crypt. He, Werewolf Concerto. Oh my god! 
the Rocketeer. Rocketeer is brilliant. I'm getting I'm getting behind this idea of just doing the Timothy Alton. And we're going to have to watch Jane Eyre then at some point. Oh. That's never a bad thing. I, remember, I saw Jane Eyre when it came out in the theater. Oh, this was a TV movie. Oh. We'll have to decide if we if we have to do his TV episodes too because he apparently he was in an episode of Charlie's Angels. Wow, he must have been so young. <laughs> he would have been a baby back then. No, he baby was born though. in 46. Uh, so that was... Yeah, he was in his late thirties. Yeah, yeah, I'm digging this idea. All right, all right. Timothy Dalton film and or film and TV retrospective. We'll add that to the list, maybe. <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of our No Time to Bond segment. Join us next time for part seventeen. Yes, when where we say we goodbye to look Timothy at Dalton. Film number sixteen in the series, the second Dalton outing. Uh, a View to a Kill. I almost said The Living Daylights. It, you said the wrong movie again. It's License to Kill or License. To, God, I Jesus. These names are all starting to squish together. <laughs> yes, uh, I almost said it again. License to kill. Not view to a kill. Certainly not the living daylights. License to kill. I said it right twice now. Go. Year in the life. What were right. we doing a year ago? Forgot my dice. Episode 69. <laughs> <laughs> Greetings, my excellent if friends. Bill and Ted, what number are we thinking about right now? 69, 69 dudes oh god yes it's coming it's so close it's so close um yes uh we reviewed gen con uh 2019 and the diana jones awards i just listened to this episode and i want you to know that you my friend are a prophet of doom how so you were talking about dune watch 2020 and you uttered the words 2020 can you feel it coming and I, I listened to that and I asked you, Jonathan, I asked you at the time, you didn't really reply to me, but I'll ask you again now for our podcast. Jonathan, now that 2020 is here, can you feel it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I'm feeling it in all the wrong ways, if you know what I mean. <laughs> it's, it's in there. It's in there and it's not doing anything kind. You know what 2020 is? You remember the earwig thing that uh, Chekhov gets in the ear and con? Yeah, it's 2020 right there in a heartbeat. It's that scene with that thing crawling into Chekhov's ear and him screaming. <laughs> well, well, Jonathan, as we know, the motto of 2020 was uh, christened by oh, a Japanese dear. amusement park when it said uh, because because of social distancing and they don't want you to talk and spreading germs, uh, you should just scream inside your heart. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my or, God. or I, th- I think the All phrase is long. please All scream inside long. your heart that that is that is the mantra of 2020 I think right please scream inside your heart yeah all day long all day long <laughs> really frankly since March all year long yeah oh. I was just talking with a co-worker of mine because you know I, I switched my job in January yeah and we were both just like wow I can't believe how much we've gotten done in such a short time and then we really stopped to think about it. We're like, man, doesn't it feel like we've been at this for like three years? And we weren't talking about work anymore. What we realized is we were talking about 2020 feeling like three years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jonathan, I, I will just leave you with the words. Please scream inside your heart. <laughs> Every damn day. All right. Let's end this. Move along to the last segment. Uh, all right. Well, that brings us to the end of this segment, which means it's break time. And when we get back, it'll be time for our deep dive as we strap on our helmets and drive recklessly in Rallyman GT. 
Do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. Welcome back from the break. It is now time for our deep dive. And this week, we are strapping into cars and we're driving recklessly through the back roads of life in Rallyman GT. Start your engines! That, that's too NASCAR. Rally more, rally's more European. It's got a little more class. So, start your engines. <laughs> that was... That hurt. I don't, I don't know. I don't watch Rally... Do you, do you want to do this part? Am I not no. going to channel it? Okay. You're good. Fine. Should I should I just do my like monotone? Like, should I go pop like a bunch of my antidepressants and just get really, really like, you know, flat? And too British. Joy, joyless. Is that too British? <laughs> Start your engines. Rallyman is a roll and move game with a simple yet exciting dice no, mechanic that invites players like to push their luck and Marvin navigate the depressed the robot. <laughs> as best they can. Will you take risk and squeeze every last second out of the track? Or will you play it cool? And avoid spinning out on hard corners, bumps, and other treacherous terrain? Question mark. You sound disinterested. Try again. <laughs> You're better than this. You're better than this. Damn it! <laughs> Tap into that giggle right now, and give it that energy punch. <laughs> now I don't know what to do. I feel like I got a, a gun pointed at me. It's like be funnier. Damn it. No, that's not, that's what you get. That's what you get. I made my joke. I'm staying with it. There's not a lot of copy to read. I don't even know where to take this now. Should I, should I do it like Austin Powers? Oh God, no! All right, we're <laughs> jumping into this. Where do you want to start? How does it play? All right. So Rally Man's kind of dope. It's a a roll and move game if you want to, and that's kind of an interesting concept in and of itself. So. First thing you're going to do is you're going to throw out uh, a bunch of tiles that those tiles are going to represent the track. Now, the tiles themselves are going to have a lot of information on them uh, because there are um, the way the track is designed is is going to be very important to how you're driving your car. Uh, If you're familiar with rally racing, you know, there's a lot of tight corners and there's a lot of times where you're actually using your handbrake to initiate a, a drift and you're drifting through corners and there's a lot of power involved and a lot of risk. So. That's all actually quite accurately represented in the game. Uh, Once you've got your your, um, track laid out, and we'll talk about the the different types of corners here in just a moment, you are going to build out your dashboard. And your dashboard gives you two options of cars and two options of tires. Now, that's important because the weather can change as you're racing. And and in fact, if your race is more than one lap, there will be some times uh, when you you are caught out in the wet and the wet makes things a lot more slippery, which means that you are more likely to spin out, uh, which is one of the negative aspects of the game. And as such, you might want to throw on your wet tires. And depending on the tires that you put on your car, it's going to completely remap the uh, risk associated with various maneuvers in your car. Make sense so far? 
Yeah, that actually makes sense. I, when I when I was looking up the uh, the blank to our blank joke for the beginning of this, I, I looked up rally car jokes, and uh, there was a big thing about picking on NASCAR because oh, the track is wet, we have to cancel the race, and you know, <laughs> yeah, it's very much so. <laughs> and and you know, the rally people are like, what? It's just like car like power drifting through like spraying mud. It's like yeah. that is rally in a nutshell, right there. All right. Depending on the setup that you have for your car, it's also going to tell you what dice to grab. Now, chances are you're going to have a one through six, and that's going to represent your gearbox, right? Gears one through six uh, on, on the race car. And you actually utilize the gears the same way you would in a regular car, where you cannot use the same gear more than once. You have to go one, two, three, four, five, six, or or down. Or you could potentially have a turn where you go... Um, one two three and then hit or pardon me two three four and then hit the brakes and go down to one uh there's because there's uh, also a red die which is a brake die and it allows you to brake a lot harder but that comes at a risk because the brake die has uh, a symbol on the sides where that has an exc- exclamation point on it and if one of those exclamation points comes up during your run uh, that can, if you collect enough of them, and that's going to be highly dependent on your speed and the type of corner you're on and what is happening. If you collect enough of those, you will spin out and potentially crash. There's also white dice. White dice are coast dice. Let's say you are going down a straightaway and you're accelerating, 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 one, two, three, four, and you hit fourth gear and you know that you are going to have a corner that you want to hold that speed for. Um, now, you know that you can only go up or down on the on the gear dice. So depending on your setup, you will have one or two of these coast die that allow you to hold a gear for another uh, space. Okay. But again, these coast die have the hazard symbol on them. So there's always a risk when you roll them. Now, you begin your turn by planning. And... The neat thing about this game is that there's going to be a lot of um, position jockeying. And the way that you prioritize order is not just on your based on your position on the track. It's also based on your speed. So the order of priority is speed, then distance, then position. So every time that you finish moving your car, you're going to put a little marker down next to it that lets everybody else know what gear you're in. So when they say the order of priority uh, is who's going first... Whoever is in the highest gear gets to go first. Then distance. If everybody is in the same gear, you look at um, who's ahead. And then position. If everybody is in the same gear and tied with one another on the straightaway, you look at who has the inside corner for the next turn. That is how you determine who goes first that round. And then you follow the order using those rules. Make sense? Yeah, makes sense. Now, this is important because speed and position become very, very important as you're racing. And that's part of what causes you to want to take risks with your dice. And there's two ways that you plot your turn. The, no matter what, which direction you decide to take your turn, you're going to do the same thing first. And that is planning your, your turn. So you put your dice out in the exact space that you're going to travel into so that you can show the progression of gears the use of coast dice, and the use of brake dice. Makes sense, right? Yeah. Uh, the brake dice, by the way, are kind of interesting in the way they work. You use them to drastically reduce speed. So instead of going, say, 5, 4, 3, uh, let's say you're, you're, you're moving speed 4 when you go into a turn and you need to get down two gears, 
you would naturally be able to downshift to three, but you need to downshift to two. So you'll actually put a brake die down and then the speed die, the, the gear that you want to select as you're moving forward again. And that lets you knock off more than one gear off of your roll. Now, what's interesting is a lot of the turns on the course will show you different markings. And those markings tell you specifically uh, the things that you need to do in those turns. Normal corners are pretty straightforward. Uh, and a normal corner is a relatively soft corner. And basically what it says is there's going to be a number inside of a circle. And that indicates the highest gear that you can play while you're in that space. That's pretty straightforward, right? Yeah. The cool thing is when you hit a corner, you can accelerate out of that corner as long as you have a space on the track that you can move out away from the apex of the turn. So let's say that you are in a corner and it's speed two. If you're in the apex of the turn at speed two, you can then shift up into gear three on the exit in the next space that you go to as long as you move outward to the left-hand side away from the apex. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think I'm getting it. It's helping looking at uh, images of the track. Yeah. Uh, There's another type of corner called a dangerous corner, and that's got the hazard symbol, that big giant exclamation point uh, marking it. And... The, the hazard symbol is basically saying this is a very, very dangerous corner. And that means that no matter what you do, you are adding a hazard mark to your roll. And this is important because, again, you can only get so many of those hazard rolls any given turn uh, before you uh, before you spin out. And, and that's basically the way cornering works. Cornering, there, there's a couple different types of corners and you, you have to factor that into your planning. Now, once you have planned out and you've got all your dice out in front of you, you've got two options for rolling. You can either roll them one at a time and potentially quit out of the turn at any time that you want, taking only only the spaces that you've done so far, or you can risk it all, pick up all of your dice and roll them simultaneously, hoping that you don't get those hazard symbols. And the, the really nice outcome of that is if you do that successfully and you don't spin out, you get these tokens that allow you to actually basically not have to roll certain dice in future turns. So there's a lot of risk versus reward. So I'm looking at pictures of the things, and you're, they're talking about the, uh, those exclamation points. They're those little teeny tiny things in like the white like half circles right before yeah. a turn? Yeah. Okay, and then the number on the inside, just to make sure I'm clear on this, is uh, the That's gear. the gear that you have to be in when you travel through that corner. Okay. So it's interesting, like some of the hazard quarters, I'm looking at one, like one side is a hazard, I think, and then the other side is not. But the not. other side, there's more spaces to travel through. Oh, okay. So that that's where your risk versus reward is, right? Yeah. If you're on the inside of the corner, it's only a single space. There's the risk that you're adding a hazard symbol to your roll. On the outside, you're in the same gear, but there's no hazard symbols, but it takes two spaces to get through the corner. Because the outside of a turn is the the longer. Longer, yeah, yeah. Okay, I get it. Now, here's what happens if you do get those hazard symbols. You have a loss of control. And that loss of control is kind of interesting. When you have a loss of control, you're going to lose control in the last space that you were were in when you obtained that that last hazard roll. Uh, And your turn is going to end immediately. And one of two things happens. You look at your dashboard for your car. And you look at the type of track that you're in, and you'll see three colors, yellow, orange, and red, on the different tiles of the game. And that tells you the, the, 
basically the, the risk factor of that particular tile. Like, does it have what equates to basically loose covering on the ground that you might slip on, etc. Now, if the column in your dashboard that matches up with the gear you were traveling in says a zero, then all you do is skid out. You spin. You're facing the wrong direction, but you're still on the track. And then you, but the nice thing is you'll be able to turn around and play your, your turn normally in the, the following turn. But if that same column shows a double zero, then you're in bad shape. You've actually spun and left the track and crashed. And if that happens, it'll take one turn to get your car back out on the track and then another turn before you can start accelerating normally again. And here's the downside. You'll look at that. There's a, a small chart on the uh, side of your dashboard that tells you what gear you were in and what type of tile you were in. And if there's a black dot in that chart where you were, then you also have to start taking random tiles from a bag. And those tiles have bad stuff. That's where the weather change lives. That's where yellow flag lives. And that is also where damage lives. If you damage your car, a couple different things can happen. You can get a minus one black die. And if you get a minus one black die, that means that you've lost one of the gears in your car. You have to get rid of one of your dice. <laughs> nice. If you damage your brakes, then that means you have to lose one of your red dice, your brake dice. And that could potentially mean a, a, a big difference going around the track in terms of keeping up with other folks. And if you lose uh, one of the white dice, the coast, uh, coast uh, gears or pardon me, the coast dice, then you will not be able to coast as far, which, again, it means that you're not going to be able to travel as far around the track any given turn. Now, weather changes are pretty cool. Uh, when a weather change comes out, you flip your dashboard, and that all of a sudden, things become more hazardous, right? Because it's raining and it, you're, you're on racing slicks. If you get a yellow flag... You are not allowed to overtake, which means that no matter how well you've planned out your turn, you're not going to be able to pass the guy in front of you. And finally, if you pull out a green bag or uh, pardon me, a green flag, then you're in great luck and you can just move along like normal. Now, another cool thing that they've done is you can make pit stops. And if you make pit stops, you get to change your tires if you want and you can do repairs on your car, which is great. But pit stops come with the downside that you're in the pits, which means it's going to take you some time to uh, before you can get back out. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. And that is the basics of Rally Man. Now, here's where things really get interesting. You can play it solo if you want. But as you add more players to the track, up to six in the base game, things start to get really, really hairy because all of a sudden the, your position and your speed means so much more. And with six cars on the track, things start to get real tight in certain areas, which is really exciting. Yeah, so can you hit other players? You can't hit other players, but you also can't pass them once you get in a situation like that. Hmm, okay. Interesting. And that way, the, the more people you play with, the more of a conundrum there is and the more of a puzzle there is in how you plan out your turn because you have to take into account all this traffic. And that's really one of the, the most brilliant things that this game does. And so is, is it just the first person to get across the finish line wins or is there some sort of timing? Ultimately, element? yeah. Ultimately, okay. yeah. Because in rally racing, it's all about time. OK, is, but it is possible if you're starting in like the, the last position to make it up to. Oh, absolutely. Especially if the, somebody makes a bad uh, uh, roll and spins out and crashes. 
this this game rewards risk but that risk can come with huge consequences that's that that is the beauty of this game system so how is uh, that rule book to flip through the rule book for the most part is pretty straightforward and pretty good um which is not to say that i didn't have a learning curve but the learning curve comes from mechanics and kind of mapping out how everything fits together in your head it's not that it's not in the rules and the rules are are, are pretty darn clear when, once you start to kind of put it all together was there an index or a table of contents or anything? That is unfortunately one thing that I wish was in there and there is not. But it reads okay? Like it flows? Yeah, it, fl- it flows just fine. Uh, again, once you under- start to understand the mechanics of the game, it all kind of comes together. And the solo mode's kind of cool. They have a, a blank score sheet in the back. And what you do is you mark up the score sheet and then that calculates out what your time is at the end. And so basically you're, you're trying to beat the clock. In the oh, song. that. OK. Yeah, I saw a picture of that and I was like, what is this? It doesn't sound like what you were talking about. OK. Yeah, no, that's that's just for the solo mode. I'm looking at pictures here, but what do you think of the components? Well, let's talk about the art first. The art is beautiful. I never thought that there would be a racing game where I'd be like, wow, this this is a gorgeous game and very well produced. The art in this is not only evocative of racing in all the right ways and respectful of racing, but it, it's just gorgeous to look at. It's it's a really nice handmade style. It, it's uh, I don't know. What, what do you think? You're, you're looking through it. Uh, I wish I knew what the media was, but yeah, it's definitely got its it, a style to it. Um, I like all the little hexes. I'm, I'm, I'm digging all the little maps. The, the hexes are great. Like the, the maps look like rally tracks. And what, what's cool is the way they all the tiles that you build are, are hexes. And so therefore, when you build it out, you can you can do a lot of track variation. I think there's six, seven or eight. I, I can't remember. Six to eight tracks built into the instruction book. But because it's just hex tiles, you can build your own. And you can get really fancy and creative with them. Yeah, I'm seeing some of them. And, and what's cool about rally racing is rally racing is all done in stages. So you can do a, a championship. You can design a bunch of different stages back to back and then have people run them and then just do standings at the end of every stage. Yeah, some of these track layouts are intense. <laughs> right? It's cool, I think. What about the little plastic cars? How do they look in real life? The downside to the plastic cars is that at the scale they're at, they all kind of start to look the same. The upside is that if you do look a little more closely, they do match the different cars that you ha- you can choose from your um, uh, from from the from the box. The, the the cars are different. Yeah, I'm seeing on the interwebs that some people are painting them, and they look cute. A little color does spruce them up. Whoa! Somebody apparently got hot wheel or micro machines or something. It'd definitely be micro machines. It's not going to be a hot wheel. Yeah. Well, those are cute. Well, you could spruce up your game with some micro machines. Or whatever these are. Oh, somebody made a little diorama with them. Wow, that's clever. Anyway, but that's not part of the game. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so talked about the good. Is there anything off in the execution of the game? Again, it comes with a learning curve, but once you work through that learning curve, no, not at all. Like, I've been a fan of rally racing for most of my life, and I have to tell you, I never would have imagined that it could be captured this well. And that's real testament to the designer that they've done what they did here, because it feels like rally racing, including all the risk and the reward that comes with it. And playing it with a bunch of people is just genuinely exciting, because then there is the... 
then there's the the question of you know like how 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 far am I willing to push to to win this race? Am, have, am I going to push too far? And then there's the strategy of moving around the track and making sure that you've got the right position to be in a in a good place when it's your turn to to potentially win, because the track is not wide. And you have to take into account corners and how your dice rolls work. So it's it's a really nice blend of a ton of risk and reward uh, opportunities and a little bit of positioning strategy. And you said earlier that you've been playing this at all different player counts. Where is the sweet spot? Honestly, I think the more people you throw on that track, the better, because it makes the strategy of where you're positioning your car that much more important. And and the track also gets really, 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 really crowded and that's a good thing because it makes it makes the puzzle harder are there any expansions that add in more than six players uh i don't know i don't know off the top of my head okay but i i think it could work Hmm. all right jonathan and now that i've stumped you with a question out of left field is there one last thing you would like to say about this game hold on i'm looking at the there's two track expansions championship and world tour and that gives you eight new official tracks to compete on and 12 track tiles per expansion. No, I'm sorry. The first one gives you eight tracks and 12 track tiles, and the second one gives you 10 tracks and uh, 12 track tiles. The Team Challenge expansion allows for a new race mode called Pursuit, where you can make a figure eight tile. <laughs> oh, that would be crazy. And it comes with six cars, so... Oh, that's interesting. One of the expansions comes with a different car that's really, really agile, but you only get four gear dice. That means that your speed is limited. Yeah, there's one that only has five gears, but it has like a boost die. Oh, that's really neat. That could be super neat. I'm going to have to check out these expansions. (laughs) All right, what's the one last thing you want to say about this game? It was a lovely surprise to see a game that was able to take the concept of rally racing and boil it down into a board game experience and do it well. This is an interesting thought puzzle every time you approach it. Um, and I just, I was, I was hesitant about this game for the longest time until a good friend of mine, uh, you know, said, Hey, I played this and this is really good. And being a racing fan, like I've seen racing games that work really, really well. And I've also seen how quickly a racing board game can fall apart if it's not thought out well. And this is awesome. This is really good. This is a beautiful execution on the idea, too. And just the art just adds so much to it. You can tell that everybody involved from designer to artist to uh, production is is a genuine fan of racing and wanted to make a quality product. It's it's awesome. It's it, what a surprise. So that is Rallyman GT by Holy Grail Games. Hopefully available at an, at an FLGS near use. I picked it up from my FLGS. I had to special order, but it was readily available in the channel. There you go. Well, that brings us to the end of our deep dive, which, of course, means we are at the end of our episode. As usual, Robert, closing thoughts. Yeah, Jonathan, episode 93, man. We are... Seven episodes away from 100. Everybody, I want you to go out and I want you to watch Living Daylights because what a pleasant surprise that was. Especially you, Ray, because you got to watch the one of the very worst Bond movies. <laughs> what did he watch? He did watched, I miss that? 
No, 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 you were here for it. When he was here for uh, the the one where he goes to Japan and. and oh God! Yeah, that's right. Okay, no, <laughs> I, I thought you meant that he he seen another one and posted about it. No, no, yeah, no. Ray, I'm so sorry. You should have joined us for this episode. This is the one to do. <laughs> boy, boy, did you catch the wrong end of that equation? Sorry, buddy. But yeah, it's it's almost time for a hundred, which means we've got an AMA coming up soon. Quicker than you think. Man, that's no joke. That's that's before the end of the year at this point. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm going to put up, uh, you know, like a Facebook thread or whatever, probably sometime around episode 96. But I want you to start those gears turning. Ask us anything. And we do mean anything. We will answer any question. Yeah, really. There's no topic that's off limits. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's no guarantee that the answer will make you uncomfortable. But... There's no topic that's off limits. So, yeah, start thinking about those questions, and I will put a thread up. I'll probably make a, a question channel just in the Discord. I think that seems easiest. And then, yeah, I'll put a Facebook thread up, too. Um, and you can tweet them at us, too, because I, I can mark those. So there you go. Um, yeah, yeah, just start thinking of questions, people. And go play Rallyman GT. This is not the type of game you would normally see at, a, at your game store, and this, is, this was a really pleasant surprise. I'm really enjoying it what made you buy it i mean how'd you hear about it well i i remember it being on kickstarter back in like 2017 2018 something like that and i was curious about it but not enough to spend money on it and then just out of the blue a buddy of mine mentioned that they had played it and i just started thinking about it and i was like all right well we need something for the show anyway so uh i'll give it a shot right um, called up my FLGS, ordered a copy, went and picked it up, and man, what a surprise. What a glorious surprise. Well, there you go. I like it. I like it. I think that's it. Well, then there's only one last thing to do, Robert. Is that, and that is to say, please scream silently in your heart. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, just, we're, it's outro time, baby. Uh-huh. It's the end of episode 93, so that means, once again, join us on all of our digital domains. We would love to hear from you. Start those gears to turn for the uh, Ask Me Anything from episode 100. Any final thoughts, Robert? That was my final thoughts. Oh, okay. Well, we're just... All right. Now, any final final thoughts? Uh, Scream silently in your heart? Nah, nah. Take care of yourself, people. 2020 sucks. Word. Destigmatized. I'm taking antidepressants because, yes, 2020 sucks. So, there you go. Bill and Ted 3 is coming out real soon, which means, as always, be excellent to one another and party on. Party on, Jonathan. The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elithiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you 